Welcome back to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. This is Jessica. And you're giddy. What are you doing? I don't know. Why I, is it so funny already? I think I might be happy and it's just a weird feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You forgot to introduce yourself. I'm Mikey. There he is. Uh, and we're back uh, with season Twin Peaks, season three, part 12, or Dose. Mm-mm. That's Spanish. 12. How do you say 12 in French, Michael? Le 12. <laughs> when Mikey and I were first dating, I was really into crosswords. I think and you've told this before. I don't think on this show, but to our friends. Um, Every and single one of our friends. <laughs> <laughs> you love this dumb story. I like it. It's cute. It's charming. You no. tell us. Is this a charming story or is it stupid? Uh, so Mikey had said something about how he took Spanish, excuse me, took French in high school and so we had just started dating so i was like oh won't this be a really cute thing that like i'll ask mikey for help and he can help me and we'll be that couple that does crosswords together and he was in the shower and i was working on and you came back out and i was like mikey this crossword clue is how to say 11 in french and do you know it so you can help me thinking like oh my god i'm such a cute like twee girlfriend and mikey was like i can only count to eight no i can count to ten. Oh, you can count to ten yeah that's all they like. I like anything, they teach you how to count to ten. I thought maybe you just no. dipped out after nine. No. Anyway, I think that's a charming anecdote. Nuf and dies. That's nine and ten. See, boom. Said it in order and everything. <laughs> I have to edit around it so I put it in the right order. Liar. <sighs> okay, so anything? Oh, I liked this episode. I liked the first half more. The second half was. Like the whole thing was slow and measured, but by the end, I was like, okay, I'm ready to. I, this episode is really uneven mm. and unsettling, and everything, I think, it, uh, intentionally, but uh, like it's also like, and I know that the Showtime title, so they don't really count, but they called it Let's Rock, uh-huh. which felt like going into it oh shit yeah we're gonna get an episode and there's some great stuff in it but most of this episode is like what the fuck it almost feels like a pilot for a different show Mm -hmm. like they're so like they the the last five minutes they bombard you with like 75 new names and you're like i don't what the fuck and is we've happen- met a lot of these people before yeah. and never see them again. So yeah. it's this sort of game of like, okay, do I need to clock these names and like keep them in the back of my head? And like that that whole Audrey scene, she drops like four or five new mm-hmm. names. The Roadhouse scene after that, they drop you four or five more new names. And it's just so... Why? You know? Yeah, like, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of the uh, sort of overall theme and it seems like we saw a few times people getting information from unknown sources like we as the audience were relegated to watching somebody's phone call mm-hmm. and only hearing one side of it as opposed to like hearing both sides that happens at least twice mm-hmm. we have audrey no not audrey we have diane communicating with somebody unknown which i guess isn't as something about communication and like broken communication i'll find it yeah, I think there's also a lot to be said for patience mm. in this episode. There's a lot like... Yeah, oh, that's a really good... Like, you as a viewer obviously need to be patient in what you're getting. Mm-hmm. There's the whole scene where, you know, 
Albert is just very, very patiently waiting for this woman to leave mm-hmm. Cole's apartment. I love that pers- scene. Whatever. And like, I could say something. I don't need, to, like, he's got some important information he needs to deliver, but we'll, take we'll get there. Mm-hmm. We'll get there when we get there. Rushing this isn't going to change the information. Which I wonder, like, is is this just a result of working with um, with uh, David Lynch's character, whose name is Gordon Cole? I had to give myself a little runway to find it. Uh, uh, is this just a result of him working with Gordon Cole for so long and knowing, like, there? It's sort of like how you take a lot. You're very you, Mikey, are very meticulous in like putting your shoes on and getting ready. Oh. Uh. Like you, you're very much like you sit down and you tie your shoes tight and thoroughly. And I usually uh, just like slip mine on. Hmm. It's it's a th- you're just a little more meticulous. Like you're very meticulous about like putting on your coat. Whereas I usually just like throw a coat in the car and like whatever I'll put it on when mm. I put it on. It, it kind of feels like that of like it, I'm not going to stand over your shoulder and be like, could you tie your shoes slightly faster? <laughs> I just know I that's just kind of knew that was a thing. Oh, totally. Oh my god, totally. I mean, I get it makes sense. I I I know I do that, but. I never thought about it, or I never thought it was anything anyone would have noticed. Well, when you live with somebody, you tend to notice Interesting. Okay. notice them in their little. Sorry, you hate me. I do hate you, yeah, and I'm finally glad it. we have it on record that I do, in fact, hate you, Michael Grave. Womp womp. Well, last last episode, you said "fuck you," Jessica Grave. So I think I did? we're. <laughs> I don't remember that. Why yeah. did I say that? Oh, I'm sure I provoked it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So Are you yelling at me for taking too long to tie my shoes? <laughs> Probably. I just, I have to remember, like, does the bunny go into the cave <laughs> before the other bunny ear? I don't remember. So I have to think about it a lot. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. And which, before or after? I don't know. I, have to, I, I don't Wait, have do shoes you, on right now. Do you tie shoes with the bunny method or do you do a wraparound? I, I, I honestly, I think I do a weird hodgepodge. Oh, funny. Kind of, because I don't do, I do the, the crossover first part that everyone does. The Your standard knot. Yeah. The, Starter knot. Like, yeah, the twist part. That's not a knot yet, but if you do it twice, it becomes a knot. Well, because it's a square knot. Okay. So I do that part, and then I do one loop. Let me see. Oh my God, this to is picture it. so boring. And then I do one loop, and then the other one, I make the loop as I'm putting it through the hole. Yeah, I think that's just regular. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's just how people tie their shoes. <laughs> okay. But I feel like it always, yeah, it's, I, I don't do, like some people do the loop, loop, yeah. wrap the loops, and right. I don't do that. Right. It's a ear method. Okay. Um, when I saw, there was an episode of uh, Going Deep with David Reese, which is one of my favorite shows, mm-hmm. and they had a guy who is, it, it's, uh, David Reese is a comedian slash just sort of character. Um. I absolutely adore him, and he had this show, short-lived show, uh, called Going Deep, and he would learn to do very mundane things as well as possible, so, like, how to make the best possible ice cube, or how to... Shake hands, yeah, how to shake pet hands a dog. Is one. Yeah, um, And one of them was tying your shoes, and that's when I learned why, like, na- my instinct to tie shoes leaves the bow going, like... Mm-hmm. Vertical. N- vertical instead of horizontal, and if you just reverse the knot... Mm-hmm. It goes regular way, and I feel like that's a th- like a small life hack that I was like, "Oh, my shoes t- stay tied better, and it looks better. That's neat." That's I like I I taught myself to tie a necktie. Mm. Uh, just did you say you were watching a movie? The the thing that I learned it from was Dick Tracy. 
the movie yeah. Dick Tracy because he like there's just a scene of him tying a tie and that's kind of where I got the basics of it from because it was pre-YouTube I couldn't sure. just like look up how to tie well, a tie well and Mikey grew up more or less in a house full of yeah. women your uh, dad never taught you I no, guess like you didn't do formal did, I, things with him I, not, I mean what and if you, I we did do some things but I mean not enough that yeah. whatever I don't know what kid Mikey would have gone with his dad and not his mom to like like a wedding, uh, I feel yeah. like would have been. There's, there was a th- the only the only thing I can think of is things that we did for like, like my step grandparents' anniversary party um, and yeah. things like that. Sure. We did, um, but I think I was still like clip on then, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I watched the thing is I watched Dick Tracy for the basics of it, and was old enough or smart enough or whatever at that point to be like. I don't like this with the way this knot looks. It's uneven because it was a half Windsor. Oh, you figured out how to do a full Windsor. And so own? I was like, this doesn't look right. <laughs> how do I do this but have the knot be a full White triangle? Yeah. I don't like the half looking awkward triangle. I want the thing. So I figured out how to do one more pass uh-huh. and do a full Windsor. I and I taught myself. had a job that I had to wear a tie for uh, when I worked at Rosebud. And... I don't know why this is a thing I would do, but I just wanted the biggest fat. So we. <laughs> I mean, that was the time. Yeah, that was probably. that was very hip. There was a was a trend in the early aughts that twenty ten. I think this would have yeah, been. Yeah, the when bigger I there. like it was. It was the pendulum swing from the trend before that, which was skinny, skinny ties. Yeah, we were really really big for a little while, and but then, then the, for a while the pendulum swing like, was the fattest knot possible. Well, for a while it was like fat wide ties, and then a tiny knot. <laughs> Or like a regular size. I don't knot. think that was a trend. I think that was just a bad quality tie. It was common. <laughs> um, anyway, but so I would make it as big as possible and I would wear a vest. And so I would move the knot like so far down the tie that it was like the widest part of the tie and the tip of the tie just came just yeah. barely below my vest. So it was so stupid approximately looking. a foot wide. <laughs> that was the worst. Anyway, so we are in Buckhorn. So we're back in this hotel suite. <clears throat> Albert, Tammy, and Gordon have a drink, on, um, and the men quietly inform Tammy about the Project Blue Book, and specifically Blue Rose cases, and induct her into the Blue Rose Task Force um, among the ranks of Albert, Jeffries, Desmond, Cooper. Um, I loved that. Listen, anytime... It's, it's strange that, like, never have we started an episode off with just, like, here's a big exposition dump, especially when it's, like... This ongoing mystery we've had since before this series started. We've been wondering what the fuck Blue Rose means mm-hmm. since Fire Walk With Me. Mm-hmm. And for those of you like who watched Fire Walk With Me, wonder what it was, and then waited 25 years for this. And 12 episodes. Sure. <laughs> we, I, oh, and then they mention it. Oh, it doesn't get any bluer. That whole scene. Like, mm-hmm. oh, Blue Rose is a thing. And then they're just like, oh, by the way, this is what a Blue Rose case is. Yeah. And you're just like... It's so what unlike Lynch to be telling yeah, a story to, so straightforward. So clearly. And then with no, like, yet the things, like, this this episode is very opposite. I feel like everything ab- about it is the things where you get new, good, deep mystery and information are shot so slow and boring and oh, I feel simple. Like everything in this show, this but episode then, is very slow. But then these scenes were like, Oh, this ongoing mystery where you could do really interesting, cool stuff with it. Mm-hmm. Like this, this opening scene is just very simplistic. Mm-hmm. And it's just, 
we're going to shot reverse shot this thing and he's going to tell you the exact information that you need to know Mm -hmm. and we'll move on and it's just so odd yeah so let's think about it just feels so out of character for for lynch to do that uh, so lynch as we've seen over the last whatever 40 hours of tv we've watched of his is very abstract also just real quick i like i love the fact that this whole series is directed by david lynch Mm -hmm. because we can rightfully attribute everything to david lynch because it's going through him in the end yeah it is that's a really good point it could be mark frost's words or whatever and ideas even Uh, but but eventually at a certain point it's synthesized through david lynch or it wouldn't be on screen right and i love that we can rightfully do that Mm -hmm. anyway go ahead um Oh, okay. So I, I, I kind of want to dig into how Lynch. So how does Lynch normally convey information? I feel like very frequently it's through riddles, it's <laughs> through the red room when people are talking backwards. It's always obscured in sure in a way or, that like it's almost clear, or if but not it's quite. delivered matter of factly, it's Incomplete? it's a character synthesizing something else uh like it's cooper saying i had this crazy weird dream Mm -hmm. this is what i think it means and you get the this is what i think it means in no uncertain terms Mm -hmm. but you're getting a character's you know through their point of view right so you're getting not just like here's laid it out blue rose key or blue book project blue book was a thing Mm -hmm. it disbanded weird shit still kept happening so we created the Blue Rose Task Force. Mm-hmm. That's it. Um, so what do you think it means that Lynch gives it to us in just an exposition dump? Do you think it, to me, it would indicate, I want to make sure I'm very clear about the rest of this series, all hinges on the viewer understanding what Project Blue Book was, what a Blue Rose Task Force is, who was a part of it. Like, it feels like, that That, that would be my guess. Do you have any thoughts on that? I Does mean, that make sense to you? Probably. That's obviously it's important information. Um, there's validation in in explaining this and deciding what they need to do. There's validation in solidifying Tammy Preston as a character mm. and and bringing her into this. Like I do give a lot of background on her. I love her reaction of when they finally say like, "Do you want to be? Are you asking me to be in the Blue Rose Task?" Yep. I love that. Yeah, by the way. Yeah. Um, but when they do that, she has this, like, because we criticize, especially early on, some of her performance stuff as being... A little wooden. Yeah. But sh- there's something behind her eyes that, like, is genuine excitement that I'm a little bit trying to hide and also absolute dread. Like, she, there's apprehension in there that I think is, like, she's very excited but terrified for this because... <laughs> There's been a handful of people who have done this and several of them have gone missing. Yeah. And nobody knows what the fuck... Ha- like, there's reason to be afraid of the Blue Rose Task Force. Mm-hmm. And I think she says all of that in her reaction and mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Um, so, Dengan joins them and they offer her an official position in the investigation. They said they're going to... Even though she's not part of the FBI anymore, they're going to deputize her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she agrees by doing a weird, like... I was going to say two-finger... But it's like your index and middle finger it it looks like somebody who's pointing at you as to confirm Mm -hmm. but is also a longtime smoker 
Oh. So it's a two-fingered because I'm Cause that's used, just how they gesture. I'm used to gesturing with two fingers because I don't want to separate these fingers because in between them is a cigarette. Uh-huh. And 90% of the time, there's a cigarette between her fingers. To me, I, I take it as a... That's a really good observation. A gesture of a, a longtime smoker. Hmm. Okay, I like it. But it's, it's also very... There's like the one, two, three, four, go point. Yeah, kind it's of. definitely it kind highly of bounces directed. and let's rock. It feels highly directed. Which like it is, wasn't just a natural thing yeah. that she did. It was very much like, and I want your end pose to be here, two fingers, your thumb is here. Like and that's what it felt like to me. Obviously within the Twin Peaks lore, let's rock has right. meaning. Mm-hmm. Again, vague, right. not as explicit as what we've just learned about the Blue Rose Task right. Force. But let's rock means something. Mm-hmm. And so we as the audience know that they are offering this to Diane, even though they suspect mm-hmm. her of double crossing or feeding information to somebody. Like they know something mm-hmm. is up with her. She does not know they know. Right? I don't think so. She doesn't she doesn't is not acting as if she knows they right. know. Um so we're kind of getting into a chess match, right? Of mm-hmm. of the FBI guys. Kind of against Diane, but mostly. And the knight has to do the little hook thing. The knight has to do the little hook thing. (laughs) That's a good throwback. Okay. um, We have another little vignette of Jerry running out of the woods into a clearing. (laughs) And then falling. Yeah. Getting back up. That's it. It's very um, Betty Hill. Very what? Benny Hill. Yeah. It very easily could have yakety sax playing over the top of it for sure. Um, okay. So now we get to, so we're back in Twin Peaks. We're with Sarah Palmer, who Love is buying, oh, it makes me so uncomfortable. So she's buying two bottles of, three, oh, two, two bottles, bottles of, of Bloody, Bloody Mary, Mary mix. mix. Mr. T's not my favorite. I like Zing Zang personally. We have some in the fridge. I make a mean Bloody Mary, and genuinely the biggest tragedy of my life is that Mikey doesn't drink liquor, and I, he cannot understand the beauty that is my Bloody Marys. And also, you would hate Bloody Marys. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't. I only drink beer and wine alcoholically. <laughs> no, only. <laughs> he, he hasn't had water in years. His doctor is really concerned. <laughs> I mean, I drink. There's he like does Keystone in the morning, thinner, so it's lighter. Thinner wines and stuff when I'm just thirsty. You know, a lighter. You know. Um, <laughs> no, I, but I don't like tomato juice either. So I feel like I wouldn't be. Um, Bloody Marys, not unlike sushi, are things that I love and completely understand why people don't like it. Oh, yeah. Like, you know how you have something and you're like, I can't believe everybody doesn't eat this. You know, I drink peaks. A- <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. It is yeah, I, not- if you don't like Twin Peaks, I by no means I'm going to be like, what? How do you not? This is what? Like, yeah, duh. Because you're a normal fucking person. You're not a weirdo. Like, So Sarah Palmer is buying two bottles of Mr. T's Bloody Mary mix and three bottles of... Mrs. T. It's Mrs. T? Isn't it Mr. and Mrs. Miss T's, I think. It's not Mr. T's. Like, I pity the fool who don't drink my Bloody Mary. Like, it's either Miss or Mrs. <laughs> Ms. T's, I think. Okay. Um, anyway, <laughs> but here's another thing about the previous scene, though, or whatever the the blue rose, the tammy. Oh, scene, oh, hold on, hold up. Ruby two scenes. Uh, there's a thing. Well, if you call the Jerry running through a field for three seconds a scene, I do. Um, they get 
you get confirmation here that Chet Desmond is real. Which, oh. it's been an, kind of an ongoing theory for a lot of people. Okay, twist. It's Mr. and Mrs. T. Oh, congratulations. I didn't know they got married. <laughs> um, they, I don't remember what I was saying now because you threw the Mr. and Mrs. T's at me. What was I talking about? Um, oh, we got confirmation that. Oh, uh, Chet Desmond. Yeah. Like, we get confirmation that Chet Desmond is real, which there was an ongoing theory by a lot of people for a long time Mm -hmm. that a lot of signs point to the fact that entire opening sequence in Deer Meadow in Fire Walk With Me is some figment of Cooper's imagination. Mm -hmm. He's Chet Desmond, which is backwards, you know, CD versus DC, Dale uh, Cooper, Chet Desmond, like all these things. Chet Desmond was um, Chris Isaac. Chris Isaac. I yeah. was thinking it was David Bowie. Who was David Bowie? Philip Jeffries. Philip Jeffries. Okay. Um, but there's like all these things. Like he's the big confident man. He he mm. has the same you know look as Cooper. So like when Longish he's dreaming, hair, he's the protagonist yeah. in his dreams. But yeah. it's you know uh, symbolizing Cooper or whatever. And there's so there's a lot of theories going about how all of this was just a dream of Cooper's mm-hmm. and and how that played out. But now this is the first time we get reference mm-hmm. in the real world from characters we know and trust because mm-hmm. the only other people who referenced Chet Desmond we had never met. Mm-hmm. You know, they're new characters to us at that time. Um, so Chet Desmond is real. Like, Mm -hmm. so he mentions that Chet Desmond is one of the people and has disappeared. Okay. So I just, I I find that interesting because I was wondering if they would ever acknowledge all of that Deer Meadow stuff from Fire Walk With Me because they don't ever really talk about it beyond that. Yeah. Sorry, the dog decided she wanted to play with the power cord of my laptop. Yeah, that's fun. Anything. The thing is, I brought her to the dog park today for two hours, and she was so bored there. And then I bring her home. She's like, hey, I have so much energy. I wish there was some place for me to appropriately manage that. Oh, I just got her amped up by doing my dance. Okay, so um, so we're back with Sarah Palmer, Mr. and Mrs. T's Bloody Mary Mix, three bottles of Smirnoff. And only because that's all they had. Only because that's, that's all they had, which I thought was interesting that she didn't like go for another brand. It was like Smirnoff right. or bust. Um, and, uh, and she just yeah, it's like looking back mm-hmm. in the little hole. Oh no, nothing. Still okay. Um, so she, uh, so that's I think that's all that was in the cart. Right? There was something else too. I, I so we've got three vodka bottles, nothing the two of Bloody Mary bottles. As she gets in line, she asks for a carton of Salem's, which is pretty. I don't know. It's Salem and it's association with witches and stuff i just think it's an an interesting choice of like of what if she's obviously a smoker what brand would she smoke the she's kind of witch like let's give her salem's you know well which is the label that we attach to women who are no longer sexually desirable but are still mysterious so yeah yeah because that's what i meant i guess she's a witch i I guess every woman who doesn't want to fuck you is a witch michael Thank you. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> so she uh, so she goes to check out, and there's a young blonde girl who we met. Yeah, she was at Twin Peaks Fest. 
I which is a weird pull. It's such a weird pull. <laughs> she's she great. Seemed, yeah, she's she very a sweet, young actress. She was, I think, very excited to just be like, "Why would you want me here?" Yes, I'm just, I'm just a young twenty-something yeah. starting out actress. Like what I really liked about her, and this, I this kind of flagged it with me, but I had noticed it a little bit more is that the women in Twin Peaks tend to be like fairly realistic looking in terms of like. This this girl behind the checkout counter is supposed to be like a teenager, and she has these like heavy blunt blank bangs and long straight hair mm-hmm. that's like this side of stringy, and like that's how most nineteen mm-hmm. year old girls look. They don't have like perfectly waved hair and a perfect. I mean, some of them do. And but, the you know boy I mean? next to her looks like he just got off the set of Glee. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But like Sarah Palmer looks like a human person. Yeah. You would see it's it, it's less about like making these women beautiful as much as like portrayed people how they look i mean in this scene i'll give you that i don't i think you know i mean still we have mage and amic and yeah. uh yeah but they're Peggy other and, and, you know <laughs> um so she asks about jerky that's being sold behind the cash register and it's turkey jerky mm-hmm. and then sarah freaks the fuck out is it smoked uh, I, I think so. It's the same as beef jerky, except made from turkey. Were you here when they first came? Uh, yes. They bought it in a couple weeks ago. Your room seems different. And men are coming. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure I know what you mean. I am trying to tell you that you have to watch out. Things can happen. Something happened to me. Something happened to me. I don't feel good. I don't feel good. Stop doing this. Should I call a doctor? Stop doing this. Stop doing this. Leave this place. Find the car key. Find the car key. Get the car key. Get the car key. Get the goddamn car key. Yeah, starts having a borderline. You're again an example of seeing half a conversation. Mm. She's because she's referencing herself. No, Sarah. Yeah. Why? Are, like she's either someone's there with her, or she's speaking to somebody internally who's mm-hmm. inside of her. Mm-hmm. But she's not just being weird. She's having a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fucking weird. Yeah. And, and her the shift that Grace Zabriskie does to she's make so it, fucking talented. And, and and like it almost upsets me how good she is, especially in this because. It just reminds me of how underutilized she is throughout the entire three seasons. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. so underutilized. Yeah, I agree. Um, and she, yeah, she has, so she they're talking about the jerky of like, what is that? What kind is that? I don't recognize that. Because she says, what kind of beef jerky is that? It's yeah, just, it's just, well, it's turkey. turkey. It's instead of beef, it's mm-hmm. whatever. And then she has the line, um, Sarah Palmer says the line, 
were you here when they first came? Yeah. And that's when it starts sounding deepened Mm -hmm. and the weird sounds in the background, which run throughout this whole episode. There's a lot of weird noise and sound and not necessarily this specific sound, but it's scoring the scene, but it's not really music. Okay. You know, like there's just weird sounds. Mm -hmm. Um, But she says, uh, were you here when they first came? And the girl takes it as like, when the- oh, yeah. And then when they got here, they came and they put the. And then Sarah starts going off on about some. She's not talking about the beef fucking jury. Beef jury. She's talking of the whatever these entities are that are they're taking over the town or the bodies or their home, whatever. Whatever she's talking about is fucking not jerky. Right. Right. Um, yeah, it's. It's interesting, and I. It makes me think that people. This is probably not a one to one comparison, but I know, like, special needs kids tend to be uh, very comforted. I, I think most humans are very comforted in routine. Mm-hmm. And so, seemingly small shifts can be profoundly upsetting or mm-hmm. disproportionately upsetting. And you see that in the fact that she doesn't switch Vodka's, vodka brands. Yeah. Like, she's. Well, and that's. A, that's you know, two things in a row of, like, they didn't have enough vodka. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, this new jerky is new. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it makes sense to me that that, just something so insane, seemingly insignificant. And she's clearly got some form of PTSD from mm-hmm. everything that happened. Like, mm-hmm. That like, she's never gotten help for. Right. Oh, she, her help is she goes to the liquor store. Every, yeah. Like, I get the feeling she does this. Like, the fact that the cashier says, I know where she lives, mm. gives me the impression she's there a couple of times a week mm-hmm. to buy three, four, five bottles of vodka. Jeez. You know, at least a couple yeah. of times a week. And we get a we get a glimpse later of of vodka bottles in her home and stuff like that. Like she has basically been doing nothing since the death of, the, of her daughter, the death of her husband, mm-hmm. but drinking and smoking. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. Anything else about that scene besides? It's incredible. It's. it's I just. It it's, makes me. It makes me deeply uncomfortable, which means yeah, it's very good. <laughs> a powerhouse acting performances by everyone in that mm-hmm. scene, like Zoe McLean, the young girl. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, she's really quite good. She's very good at that. Um, uh, like anyone who's worked retail or worked yeah, customer facing knows that. Like, what the fuck is going on? But I am within. I have to of, play nice. Yeah. 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 She. She's very good at that. And worth noting, we get. The introduction of a Carrie character later, and the name of the grocery store is Carrie's. Oh, which is an interesting. And thing your sister's to name note. is Carrie. Do you think that's, that's a connection? That's probably really the the biggest connection. Okay. I'll yeah. call her and see what she what she thinks. Um, all right, so we move over to the what's it? Fat Trout. Fat Trout Trailer Park. Fat Trout Trailer Park. The new Fat Trout Trailer Park. Right. Good clarification. Um, so Carl Rod, um, he's stuck, which. Mikey and I noted we, we couldn't tell if his uh, if Harry Dean Stanton's jeans were very big or he just has very skinny skinny legs mm. because they look or both yeah they they're a wide cut um, so he uh, we see him um, kind of notice a resident here it says his name is Criscol K R I S C O L have you I heard that he, I thought he said. That's weird because at the beginning of the scene, I thought he, he says like, "Hey," and I thought he said Driscoll. That's close enough. And then at the end, I thought he said Crystal. 
And then I didn't understand. Well. Because I guess Kriskel. You got half of it twice. Isn't, so. <laughs> isn't, it doesn't sound right. So I didn't yeah. know what his name was. For I wanted to reason, look that up and I forgot. The fact that it starts with a K is odd. K-R-I-S-C-O-L with an internal C. It's just an odd. Maybe it's supposed to be Chris Cole. But he just, he does, I don't know, that's weird. Yeah, I I just clicked on the link and um doesn't say anything about him. Anyway, uh, so he comes out, so this man is older, oh, I guess about his age, more or less. He's got a cane, so he's mm-hmm. kind of trouble having trouble walking. He's very slow and deliberate. He looks like a, I had a friend in high school um, who didn't have legs from the knee down. Either like right okay uh actually i don't know uh but he walked with that same kind of limp which also this is similar to the same kind of walk that the man from another place has too yeah because of the legs being a different length but Mm -hmm. that same like walks with a cane but has he his shoulders shift dramatically at each step because the legs are either uneven or one of them is prosthetic Mm -hmm. or something like that um yeah i yes i one of my i i'll drop this though this is one of my all-time favorite stories um in high school we were all hanging out whatever walking somewhere and there was we're crossing the street at this crosswalk that is has a street light or has a stop sign but it stops only for the crosswalk there's no intersection it's just a crosswalk in the middle um and we're all crossing and then this guy steve who has at least one prosthetic leg. Oh, I know the story. Um, is taking significantly longer than the other rest, and he kind of wobbles when he walks. Mm-hmm. And the guy started honking at him, like moving like because he think he we were punk kids, and yeah. he thought you know this kid was fucking with him, being slow on purpose mm-hmm. or whatever, just to be a dick. And Steve stops, turns, looks the driver dead in the eye, takes off his leg. Pounds it three times in the hood of the guy's car, looks at him again, stops, puts his leg back on, and then doesn't look back and just finishes crossing the street. And we're on the other side of the street going, oh my fucking what God. Boss move. Yeah. And the guy just sat in his car like, what the fuck? <laughs> That's not what you're- I'm the fucking asshole. <laughs> like, oh my God. It's uh, incredible. I, uh, yeah. So Carl kind of flags down Chris Cole and um he asks do you you do you, you do stuff around here right and you, do you get paid no so it's a couple times do you rake leaves around here yeah, yeah do you, you get paid no yeah um and so i don't do we have any context for this okay so are we just do we to get any context Carl- for this though also no <laughs> <laughs> um i think it's just another example of Showing what a good guy yeah. Carl Rod is. Yeah. So he gives the guy 50 bucks cash in exchange for this. Yeah. These are for the odd jobs doing. you've been doing. And also. And also don't pay me rent this month. Yeah. And the guy so, seems so like, well, well, I don't understand. He, he seems very much like a person who has just done things out of habit. Yeah. And like, not, like, I, I, I was thinking about like, if I was retired and wasn't doing much, like, I'll go out and like rake some fucking leaves for a little while. Yeah. Like that's no big deal, yeah. and not not expecting it. And to. Retirees enjoy doing like yard work yeah. and thing like just because it keeps you active. Yeah. and it's relatively easy. Mm-hmm. But it's you know, and then but Carl basically tells him like, I don't want you giving blood anymore. Stop oh, I it. forgot about like that, that was the whole thing. The guy was going off to give blood again, and he's like, 
you don't need to do that. Like, start charging for the shit you're doing. Yeah. So don't give blood. Any- and then, and then the thing I love about it is that, like, he's like, you got stop. You stop giving your. I don't want you selling your blood for money. But then also, like, I understand that the hospital needs it, mm-hmm. and it's important for people to give blood. But you've, you've given, given enough. Yeah. You don't need to keep doing this. Yeah, which is like I assume they're referring to plasma which you can get paid for because you cannot get paid to for blood is that the same in every state and every yeah, small oh, town yeah. it's, it's a it's a national thing like you cannot sell it's like an international you cannot sell body parts which hmm. for some reason blood is but your plasma isn't um because I, I mean maybe that's part of it too is that that's it's like black market yeah he's not yeah. going to the right sources mm-hmm. you know but yeah he's to sell plasma in college like the class act i was hmm. and i <laughs> i um a very fair skin I bruise very easily um and so basically I would constantly have what looked like track marks on both of my elbows and I was also a dancer and so I would just like notice like if I put my arms out I was like I look like a ma-. like they're gonna stage an intervention for me because mm-hmm. it's just like black and blue up and down my arm anyway um but yeah it's a it's an odd scene but it's not it's a it, nice it's a nice scene like that's it. like I feel like this whole episode is made up of like it feels like going to a theater class and you just mm-hmm. watch the day's class where like a bunch of people in your class we're going to do this scene. We're doing this scene and they don't connect to each other. Uh-huh. But each one of them is a great scene. <laughs> You know, like... Like a showcase. Yeah, like, so many of these scenes have nothing to do with anything, but, mm-hmm. oh, they're a great scene, though. Right. Like, it's it's strange. This episode is really odd. Yeah, it's just it's an odd episode. It's weighted weird, It's it, so it feels really uneven, but it's also just very slow and mm-hmm. deliberate, which makes the uneven part seem odder well also this is probably the least we've seen of Kyle McLaughlin honestly I think he's only in this episode in that one clip Uh so that they can still put the starring starring Kyle McLaughlin at the end huh interesting because this is the only episode where we don't get any iteration of we don't see Mr. Cooper except for that one baseball clip Mm -hmm. which speaking of which um Sonny Jim kind of guides Dougie outside they're both wearing baseball mitts Mm mm-hmm and, the, and Mikey and I talked about the scene. And he's still wearing his fucking... He just doesn't have his jacket on. Yeah, he took his, his jacket his off, shirt. but he's still wearing shirt and tie. Um, and so Sonny Jim kind of places him and then goes 10 feet away from him and then throws the ball. And Dougie does not move. And it just like bounces up off his shoulder. And Mikey, you thought that maybe it was digital? It, it looks digital to me. I don't... Because mu- like... I think, A, the way the kid throws looks like there's nothing weighted in his hand, Mm -hmm. which obviously it's probably a lighter, if they were to do it practically, it's probably probably a lighter ball, so that could make sense. But also, like, I don't, because there's no cuts in the scene and they get the whole walkout, to get him to do that and then throw the ball and have it bounce perfectly off of him and up and boom, boom, in this, like, cartoonish way. Mm Would have taken many attempts, most likely. Yeah. And it seems like it's probably just walk him out there. Pretend you're throwing. Pretend you're throwing a ball. Cooper doesn't move. Mm-hmm. Bounce. Boom. Yeah. I My theory of why he looked a little awkward and stilted is both that he's probably carrying a very light, if he's carrying a ball, very light ball. And also he 
is not that far away mm-hmm. from him to play a game of catch. Right. So when you're throwing overhand to somebody who's not that far away, it's By the all, time your arm is extended, you're yeah, point, three feet from your target. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's why I think he... Which, and that's that makes sense too, but mm-hmm. I it's just I don't but know. You're, I, I hadn't thought in terms of like logistics because that's yeah. an all one shot thing, so that makes sense. So that's all we get of Calvin Glockland this week. Yeah. Um. So we have a really nice establishing shot of the the Palmer House, mm-hmm. uh, with Hawk pulling up next to it in his uh, Twin Peaks sheriff's truck. Um. And he um, hears a noise inside, knocks on the door. Sarah dismisses it as something in the kitchen, and she does not make eye contact with him while she's And she super side-eyes, like, when it happens. So it's mm-hmm. not even just like, oh, it was something. Yeah. It's like she heard what the fuck happened. Right. Um, but the subtext in their whole conversation is wonderful. Yes. It is a man who is deeply concerned about this mm-hmm. woman who has been through so much mm-hmm. and is... Not accepting help from anybody, mm-hmm. but he needs to keep reminding her. If and he's you like, do need "Oh, help, I, we are opening this case, and I, I thought like I want. Uh, this is about the supermarket, though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard about that. And his delivery of it is great. Like, it isn't like, yes, you're right. That's what it's about. But he acknowledges, yes, I heard about that. Well, and the way he says it is like he scared a lot of people, and not in a, an yeah. accusatory way, but like absolutely in a very much like, I hey, we're Hulk. worried about you. Oh God, he's the best. Yeah. And then, and then she snaps a cu- like with that moment where like through her teeth she's like it's a goddamn interesting thing isn't mm-hmm. it Hawk or whatever and you're just like what the fuck was that? Do we ever see Hawk lose his cool? I mean, I don't know what losing his cool would be, like but raising his voice in anger. I, like the closest thing to it is when yelling at Chad ask. when he's in the bathroom. But even then, he doesn't yell at him. Yeah, go find another. Go use the ladies' room, Chad. Like that's the mo- that's the extent of it. Yeah, I think, and, and even, it's and it's fucking Chad. So who gives a shit? Right, but, but even the way he says it isn't yelling. It, it, he's not mad at him for being yeah. in there. He's just oh, yeah. like, jump. Not in now. There. Not now. Yeah. Yeah. He's just um, stern. Yeah. Yes, stern is yes. Um. So she leaves her saying that if she needs it, and we have another duplicated line if i remember right if you ever need anything you can call us and he says it again i think oh or he, he repeats the sentiment it's he repeats it but he says it in the way of, of like if you need anything give me a call and she said i don't know and he goes if you need anything anything like like as if to say i know there's something supernatural or something mm-hmm. happening to you and the real sarah palmer is somehow compromised or yeah. something i i don't know what i know that i you can tell me and i will understand and i will support you like you know what i'm realizing yeah. the, maybe this is a coincidence but the last time we saw hawk was when he was talking to the log lady and that was when she said can you Look. hear me hawk can you hear me mm-hmm. and laura is the one which is also a very strong sentiment that she repeats, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and and she starts get he's getting all this information from the log lady. Cooper's coming up in this case again. Mm-hmm. Now there's this incident with Sarah Palmer snapping at somebody at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Something's, Something's going on, yeah. and I'd like to talk to you, but I don't want to have to like 
formally bring you in and and he's and, opening know. the door to conversation right. <laughs> so I get it all out daddy her eyes are open so we go back to we see Diane at a bar uh, she's drinking a martini. She's sucking the martini off the olive in a way that makes me want a martini very badly right now. <laughs> and also, granted, in I re- did buy blue cheese stuffed olives. Reality, when I was at the store. it's it's probably just because it's water, but that martini is crystal clear, which yeah. means it's just it's vodka. not a martini. <laughs> it's a fucking a glass, glass of, vodka. of vodka with a couple olives in it. Um. So she gets a text message that just says Las Vegas question mark. And she responds in, and for some reason I clocked that we hear her because like the keyboard sounds are still on because she's a boomer. Like she has to have her keyboard sounds on. <laughs> but anyway, she, you can hear her click the all caps button. Yeah. On the iPhone. Oh, they show it too. She, oh, do they show she I, does I just, it? I, she turns I, it on. Yeah. Um, and she said they haven't asked yet. All caps. And you get, it's another unknown. unknown. And this is another moment where you can, for the, the sleuths out there who have been trying to track the timeline, mm-hmm. is every time you look at her phone, there's a time, timestamp. Yeah. And it says it's I don't remember. 19 o'clock. It says it's 7 p.m. Oh, is it? I didn't look at this one. But. I did because I, noti- I noticed that it's in international time. It's not mm-hmm. in how Americans usually have their clocks. But we also don't, I guess, we know, never mind. I was going to say we don't know that time zone but i guess we do okay. she's in south dakota so and also that's, that's going to change relevant too but it is in the sense of if we see like when we saw cooper send a text where are their time zones are they where are you can get a, lo- mm. a location mm-hmm. of where these texts actually three hours apart or are they three hour in different time zones and they were instant this wine is very different from the rosé. Oh. I, I had a sip of mikey's rosé and i just had a glass of Mer- or took a sip of merlot and it's like Making my eyes water. <laughs> Maybe I should have had some water. Um, so that's it. So we still so something is up, and we don't know what. We know the Blue Rose Boys are on it, or aware of it. Blue Rose Boys. That's what I'm calling them. Um, okay, so we go back to Twin Peaks. This scene felt interminably long to me. It felt so. This is Audrey. I'm sorry. This is uh, fr- the. Uh, Frank and Ben Horn. Oh, oh, I love this scene though. Oh, I, I liked it, and like by the end, I was like, I, I'm losing. Like my ADD is like yeah. crippling me right now. But that's exact. Like, there's more than one scene like this that, like, mm-hmm, just a couple of them. one location, and they just let the entire scene play out. Normally, this would be the type of thing you could break up with, you know, the Jerry scene or intercut these two scenes together, and they just don't. Yeah, and I. I kind of love that. Like it, I feel like as an actor, these they probably loved it too. Oh, like God, they yeah. really got to work in these scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is. I just, I just, I, I think Richard Beamer in this scene is incredible. I love Richard Beamer. Incredible. I just recently rewatched um, West Side Story, Did and you? he's so good in it. Did mm-hmm. you know that he and Natalie Wood? hated each other i think you did i think you told me that yeah, yeah. that's just a 
thing I remember being aware of is they just did he was like mm. we would show up on set and just start making out like we did not talk <laughs> if the camera wasn't on it which is wild they have the best chemistry in that movie um anyway so uh so Frank comes in to see Benjamin Horn he tells him that his grandson Richard so this is com- confirmation that Richard Horn is Ben Horn's grandson and ostensibly Audrey's and, and he says he didn't have a father which means Unless he had another daughter somewhere that we don't know about. Mm-hmm. It's Audrey's. Yeah. Um, and he... Uh, so so Frank kind of fills him in. He says that... And I le- there was something I liked a lot about the scene. The way it felt very small town. Because he said Frank ran over and killed that boy. Mm-hmm. Not a, and this it, is the boy's name and this is where this, it happened. It is, everybody knew this thing happened in this town. The same thing went later when he says, when he says it to Beverly, he's like, turns out my, my grandson killed that little boy. And, and she's like, oh. Like, they know so exactly what happens. Yeah, like. I like her. I love that. I'm getting to like really be into that character of like, mm-hmm. just, God, Lynch is very good at giving us like a tiny slice of life that makes you feel like there's mm-hmm. so much more to this person. But all I'm seeing And is, I think that's, that's a benefit of these long scenes. Sure. Like it's you get you get those extra little tidbits that you're like, I want to know what's going on there. Mm-hmm. And and when when otherwise you would have cut away to the next scene. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that is also a benefit of we don't have to fill a Certain. We got forty two minutes, mm-hmm. you know, to and we tell need to, this. We need to put in commercial breaks yeah, and yeah, time exactly. everything. Yeah. Um so Benjamin reflects on Richard's troubled past. He says something about that boy's never really been right or there's always mm-hmm. been something wrong with him. Um, he shows... Oh, and then he shows Cooper's hotel... So he shows the hotel key to Frank saying that you should... I thought maybe Harry would want this as like a keepsake. Mm-hmm. Which on the surface makes complete sense. But in hindsight, it's like, well, I don't know. This is a case of a murdered girl from 25 years ago yeah, and the, he got shot and like yeah Cooper was like a kooky character but it was a dark period in Twin Peaks history but him and presumably like like him and Cooper were really good close during that time yeah, and it's, it's like a keepsake of an old it'd be like if someone gave you a keepsake of like one of your old friends from high school that you just kind of lost contact with or yeah. you know like but, oh cool yeah I'll have that like yeah that was... which it makes sense but like the context around that friendship is sure. a horrible murder by her father like it's it was yeah. such a grim thing to happen that it feels odd to look back on it with but like, is, does that mean he's gonna like fuck Agent Cooper because all he reminds me of no. is this awful time like, no, no but the I just... key, but to me I don't know why the key would be symbolic of because it was Cooper's room that's yeah. where he stayed they had many meetings at the, yeah. there like. You know. I guess we'll just agree to disagree. No, I'm going to wait till you concede. <laughs> we'll be here for years. Um, Frank leaves uh, with the key, remarking on the coincidence that they're currently reopening a case involving Cooper. Frank, after Frank leaves. And, and I like that it goes back. Like he que- even even Ben Horn questions it several times of like, what, what, do you, what do you want this? Yeah, yeah. He might not want it. Would he want it? Yeah, I think he would. So he, do you want to take it? I, should I give it to you? Like yeah. it's very, it's it's sweet. It's very, and I love how quickly they like, and I love how immediately like Ben takes ownership of everything. Like 
That was the so other thing is. I don't even say it. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of all the hospital bills. Yeah, I guess I, we could. I'll take care of, I'll take care of all the, whatever. And the boy's family. I'll take care of that. Yeah. I'll take care of, like, yeah, we I'm going to s- take care of all of we this. We kind of skipped over the Miriam stuff because he says, oh, and he attempted to kill the only mm-hmm. witness. Now she is So I assume in he's in jail? No, he's on the run. Shit. But he says she's in the hospital. She's ICU. ICU. She needs surgery very badly, but she doesn't have mm-hmm. insurance, which <laughs> America's I mean, awesome. and that's a, that's, I think, a very... Not just like, oh, she needs the money. Mm-hmm. I think this that's a very deliberate statement about teachers mm-hmm. not making money and not being mm-hmm. able to afford insurance and all that yeah, kind she of She doesn't shit. have insurance. She doesn't have the money right. to cover it. And she could die because of that. Right. Because, because of this freak grade. accident that she grade. happened to see. And capitalism. Right. But yeah, like that's... Yeah, I think I think that's that's a very deliberate statement about mm-hmm. teachers not being able to afford insurance, which is insane. Mm-hmm. Um, so Frank leaves. Uh, ben kind of fills Beverly in about Richard um, and his own father, and he talks about this bike that he got as a kid, fat tires, green on gr- green Schwinn, light yeah. green and dark forest green, hard to ride because the tires are fat. I love that bike. Yeah, and it. Oh, so wistful, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Because in it's it kind of lands when she Beverly leaves. She's gonna help, you know, arrange the the funding for this surgery, etc. Um, and he's just sitting by himself in the desk, like oh, I love that bike. Like, and it's mm-hmm. it it reminds me a lot of the, like the when they tell the story about the babysitter, like mm. the the reminiscing of it of just like man, like I think. I think it, I get the impression he's done this a lot. Like he does that when he has his breakdown where he's watching old family videos of them breaking ground on the Great Northern and stuff oh, when he has yeah. that breakdown. And I think like it's a very like his rise to like, I guess, local fame yeah. and money and power mm-hmm. is like a Citizen Kane thing. Mm-hmm. And like he, he he's he's every chance he gets to go back to like, God, I miss when things were just easy mm-hmm. i miss my old bike i miss my old babysitter i had a crush on yeah. i miss when we you know was there with my family and we were digging this like i it, like he's got these like he misses going like he longs for this life he wishes he could have had and never did mm-hmm. and i think he's doing the best he can now yeah but i, I like that journey for his character mm-hmm. and in this sort of impulse for nostalgia of if only we were in this place things would mm-hmm. be better if only we we're in this time things would be better I, I think I always think it's really interesting how we sort of rose color rose tint our own memories mm-hmm. in a way of like oh man when I worked in Montana I was outside every day and working with horses but like there were days I would just go home and cry because I was yeah. lonely or sad or tired or hurt or whatever mm-hmm. and like I don't remember those things I remember getting drinks with my friends at bars and, sure. and all that and it's interesting that this is the journey that um, that he's going on, that he's kind of digging deeper into his past as a way to cope with what's going on. I, and I, I honestly, I honestly think it's he's been working on this thirty-year-long journey mm-hmm. to be a better person. Mm-hmm. And you can't Which we just saw in season two. become a better person. You, it's effort. It's daily effort. It's the world. Everyone, you know. 
we're all saying now is like you can't just if you're grew up racist or whatever like you can't unlearn that you're not gonna just be oh well turn that off good thing whoo yeah like you it's a daily struggle and if you're going to make mistakes learn from them and mm-hmm. i think he's doing that mm-hmm. he feels like someone who's like going through regular therapy or something like he's he's he working on huh? himself and like the way he reacts to like I I know this wasn't my fault. I didn't do this. But I have the means to take care of it. I'm yeah. going to take care of it. And also you can see like the way the way he kind of says my grandson did this. It does feel like he bears responsibility because like this is his progeny. This is his daughter's and, and son. And the way he says more specifically even I the way he says he never had a father. I feel like that line is ringing with i should have been that he didn't have a father i had that and opportunity. i i could have taken that spot and been more of a father figure for him Ooh, and i fucking didn't this is very good because he's reminiscing about how good a dad he had yeah and i don't i think he regrets you know my my sort of take on it is i don't think ben I think Ben Horn got so caught up in being successful mm-hmm. that it never occurred to him to like enjoy what he had. Mm-hmm. You know, he would like mow down those brie and French bread sandwiches or whatever. Which again like, is a memory. It's you remember when we used to go and we had and he's like this tastes just and then he's mouthful. He's like this reminds. Do you remember? And they're like going back and forth. It's all about memory. It's oh, all about I his forgot past. About that. It's about his youth. When things were just loose and carefree and things were great. Yeah, I, I think everybody does that, like, in the good old days, mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z. And, like, the reality was there were no good old days. Mm-hmm. Not for everybody. And and it's such a, uh, I don't say toxic, that sounds dramatic, but a potentially dangerous impulse to constantly be looking behind you and missing what you but had I, and can never have again but i think and maybe never really had it seems like someone who he seems like someone who's doing it the right way mm-hmm. looking back at those things and be like i wish i i like these memories and i have regrets i'm not gonna wallow in that i'm gonna try to make myself better for mm-hmm. it and i i don't know yeah i i just i love the journey of his character mm-hmm. and i love that the way the beverly is like on looking when he's talking about like just his like she's she's like tearing eyed mm-hmm. and like because talking she about sees your- a man trying to do right by himself and she doesn't want to be the person who like if I get together with him is it gonna be toxic yeah because I'm married to a sick man uh-huh. you're possibly technically still married we don't really know right like and I think there's just like a, a, this moment of like, I wish this could happen, but I yeah. don't know. And there's something very vulnerable about watching people reminisce on something mm-hmm. that you weren't part of. And also like, it, it's almost lonely of like you're watching a person go through something like emotionally tumultuous mm-hmm. and it's not or really. I mean, it doesn't have to be tumultuous. Like he's talking about his bike too and yeah. then she's... You but know. yeah, you're just kind of witnessing somebody remembering in a way yeah. that that is uh, inaccessible, I guess. But but to, I actually just today watched um, 
the the Beastie, Beastie Boys, Boys story mm-hmm. on Apple TV or whatever, and it's basically just a live performance intercut with some video clips and stuff like that, where the two surviving Beastie Boys um, just talk about the history of the band, how mm-hmm. we got here, how we got where we got, and then obviously the whole last ten minutes or fifteen minutes of it is about. Did you cry? The oh, absolutely, uh. <laughs> the death of MCA, and just it's one how thing talking about. Like, oh, a celebrity or a performer, a great person, no matter how good a person they were. It's one thing to like, oh, yeah, that's a bummer, man. I liked them. I really liked their work. Um, you know, Tony Sly, who sang in No Use for a Name, was one of those people for me who like, oh, shit. that's one of the first musical artists that ever really hit me. But even still, it's like, oh, that's a bummer. That, that, he di- that Tony Sly died. Yeah, sorry. That, <laughs> that he died. And His existence didn't bum you out. No. Um, <laughs> but watching like... Two members of a group of three best friends friends tell talk about like what a great man Adam Yawk was mm-hmm. and like how they miss MCA and how wh- how important he was and the things he did and how smart he was. It's just mm-hmm. like you can't help but like like there's even a moment like they have these giant teleprompters that you occasionally see that they're like reading most of their stuff and at one part. Wait, most of their stuff, like what they're talking about, like yeah, their lyrics. They're on stage. They're just talking. They're talking to a crowd. It's basically oh. them just telling the story of the Beastie Boys. Oh, okay. I did not understand. Um, okay. And they, at one point, like Adam, uh, who Ad Rock, mm-hmm. um, is telling a story, and he kind of gets to a point, and then he just stops, and you can see him kind of tip his head behind Mike D's shoulder mm-hmm. and like whisper something. And then Mike D just starts talking. And you're like, he's absolutely saying, like, I can't. I can't right now. Take it over. And then Mike D just, like, looks. And you can tell he's reading because this wasn't his part. It's it's such a sweet moment. And it's it's really well done. I highly recommend it. Even Like, you don't even need to be a big Beastie Boys yeah, fan. Yeah, that's why it's, I wasn't interested in because, like. It's very good, though. I was too young for the Beastie Boys. And, like, they have a great, like, there's a really, really good moment where they talk or Ad, Ad Rock talks about, um, they talk about obviously how, you know, Meteoric Licensed to Ill was, which is their first record that had Fight for Your Right and all this stuff that blew up and was huge. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, that song was supposed to be a fucking joke. We were making fun of fucking frat boys and yeah. shit. And then we blew up and went on tour at 17, 18, 19 years old, whatever they were. And we're getting loaded every fucking night. And we turned into... Absolutely, the people were joking, which is why there's like a four-year gap before their next album, and they get dropped from Jeff Jam because of it, and all the stuff is because like this isn't what the fuck we wanted to do. Uh, um, and they talk specifically about the song on that record, "Girls." You know that song, "Girls," ding, 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 and the whole, girl, girls, and the song is all about like girls in the in the kitchen, girls to clean the bathroom, like. It's the worst fucking... And they talk about that specifically about like... It was a fucking bad joke at 17. And then you go into like Sure Shot and there's a lyric about... I'd have to find the whole thing. Um, But that's specifically... It's about like men on looking women and being awful. (laughs) And someone in an interview... And this was a great moment because it was Mike D talking about an interview that Ad-Rock had. And he's like, you wrote, you know, someone interviewed about this, 
this uh, interviewed Adam Adrock about this song and said like you have these lyrics and you, but you're the guy who wrote you know the fight for your right and girls guys writing this and he's like listen I'd rather be a hypocrite than the same person for the rest of my life dang and he's like it was that moment that really kind of solidified like we were always friends but like I fucking this guy I I am proud to be in a band with you and yeah. I just what a great fucking line for that. Mm-hmm. Like That's very good. That's very, very good. I'd, ra- I'd rather be a hypocrite than the same person for the rest of my life. And, That's so wonderful. And like, That's so wonderful. It's because they're such a cultural institution. It's so hard to realize like 17 years old. Like I won't even look at my old fucking live journal pages from when I was 17 because yeah, yeah. it's so fucking cringy. And it's the same thing that's kind of going on with um, Eve Six, which is like their <laughs> Twitter account randomly got very popular. And <laughs> when people started tuning in, <laughs> which Eve Six was, they sang uh, Inside Out, which w- was just like my fucking jam in high school god i love that fucking song and it's very cheeseball um but (laughs) apparently when they like whoever is like being really active is obviously the guy who who wrote the song and he kept tweeting at celebrities like hey barack obama do you like the hard in a blender song (laughs) and i just and he like so and when people make fun of him like make fun of his lyrics he's like yeah i was 17 this is still very embarrassing yeah. for me yeah it's i it's great and like i i like a lot of beastie boys i don't think i'm musically smart enough to really appreciate the beastie boys because i think a lot of why the beastie boys are an iconic and a great band is the creative musical stuff that they do that i don't necessarily understand mm-hmm. how hard like tape loops and shit that they do okay. and things like that but the songs I love I love mm-hmm. and they remind me a lot of Foo Fighters in that way of like I fucking love the Foo Fighters as individual humans <laughs> I could care less about the band I find yeah. them to be just, just mediocre rock Dave Grohl seems like a great I want to absolutely hang out with the Foo Fighters <laughs> and I would watch a ton of like behind the scenes content of them. I just don't care to see their music. God, how many times did we watch that Swedish thing that they oh, played Learn to Fly? I'll, I'll link yeah. to it. It's just oh, genuinely so good. that was yeah, like they, somebody in was it Sweden? I don't think it was um, Finn. I'll look it up. It's Johnny, It's like Project One Thousand or something like that. It's called, and the idea was a thousand people got together in a giant field. And all simultaneously played uh, "Learn to Fly," the yeah. the Foo Fighter song, and in 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 because it was some small city like a small location like that that they Foo Fighters had never played, so they got somebody somebody organized this whole event, got a thousand people to play this song, they filmed it, it looks incredible, and then they sent it to get Dave Grohl be like to be like, hey. You never come play here. Come play here. You have look. People will show up, and it and they like almost immediately like didn't even do a tour. Mm-hmm. They just were like, I we just got wind of this. We've got it. We're making arrangements now. We'll be there within the next like two months. Like it was like we we are coming. I this is amazing and it's a wonderful video. That's very. I don't know what you're doing. What are you doing? I'm trying to find 
information oh. about it. But it's it's great. And like there's like one guy on a giant um like scaffolding. Oh, it was Italy. Good call. Is like Cessna. One, Cessna. Okay. Italy. There's one oh, guy in a, a, a giant like scaffolding as like a conductor. And he looks and, like, like this mad conductor. Like this yeah, huge there's, mad conductor. There's probably like 400 people singing. Mm-hmm. Which obviously is going to be the bulk of it. Then there's like a hundred a hundred drummers. Two hundred, gu- you know, four hundred guitar players, and they're all playing like, simultaneously. And, yeah, there's a couple of shots from like ground level where you see drummers all playing, and it's like you could easily get the drums to change a little bit. Like, oh, they don't do the exact same fill or whatever mm-hmm. at these parts. Like, I learned basically the song, but I don't have the. Everyone's doing like the exact same fill. Yeah, and every it looks. It looks incredible. Amazing. It's incredible. And like that's one of the songs. Foo Fighters is one of the odd bands where I their singles are actually my favorite songs. Yeah. Rarely is that actually the case for well, me. I think Learn to Fly is like Oh, that's a great song. As good a like pop rock song. Yeah, as it's absolutely there is. just a pop rock song. Yeah, but um, anyway. That reminds me of the first concert I ever saw. I saw Ring of Star and it's an all-star band. This Ooh. is yeah, it's probably nineteen ninety. That's funny because my first concert was Paul McCartney. We have so much in common. Like half half of our first concerts are, are the, the Beatles, basically. Do you think that's why those are the two surviving Beatles? Because we imbued them with, right, that's, with our yeah. energy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it was the first concert I saw. It was at Park West in Chicago. Ooh, that place is great. Oh, my God. I, I haven't been there in years. I yeah, saw, I've only been there once or twice. <laughs> I, you want to hear the two acts I saw at Park West? Ring of Star and All-Star Band and, wait for it, Jimmy Fallon. Nice. <laughs> I, okay. I saw Jimmy at Park West too, but it was Jimmy World. Oh, I thought we were going <laughs> to figure out we were in the same place at the same no. time when I was like no. 16. I did not. Um, two and star- I saw Sleeping at Last there. Oh, God. Do they have other songs besides that very sad Turning Pages song? Oh, yeah. And everybody just crying through their whole concerts, <laughs> just like playing a soft, sad piano. Um, two things about Park West. One was that... Um, you know those like little snapshot moments that you'll remember for the rest of your life. One of mine is that uh, Ringo Starr is up, and I was with my dad. I was wearing my friend's because I didn't have one of my own. My friend's white album T-shirt that was like a men's large. Is it just a white T-shirt? No, it has the <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it has no. Let it be. I, it wasn't the white album. It was I call be. it my white album T-shirt. <laughs> There yeah, was, that's just a hanging sorry, beefy no, tee. You're right. It was the Let It Be shirt. So it's got like the four okay. individual pictures of <laughs> of them. And it was like a men's large. And I was a <laughs> tiny child. And so I had it like knotted. Nice. Um, very cool. But there's this, where we were sitting, we were kind of sitting in the balcony sort of off to the side. So we couldn't see all of the stage. And Park West isn't very big. Very small. Um, God, we were so close to that. I cried yeah. immediately. I was like 14. And it was like the best moment of my life when I saw Ringo Starr. Um, but there was just this one part. So I, there were two drum kits set up. So there was like the regular drummer who was like when Ringo Starr was like actually singing and I'm going to say dancing, but he mm. kind of, my dad loves to say that he dances like a drummer because he's just sort of like an <laughs> awkward dork. It's all arms. <laughs> it's a lot of Shoulders arms. are staying square. <laughs> um, but there was this like one Like an thing octopus. That- <laughs> he's guarding. <Yeah. laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but so I could see 
a third of the other drum kit and then there was another drum kit in center state like center upstage where Ringo would like go play what just wild like a drummer show yeah. <laughs> like so- we got like four drum kits and Ringo's <laughs> gonna maybe play one of them for a little while come on down <laughs> but there is this one song that he was singing and like being awkward and then he like kind of air drummed Ooh. but I could only see the other drummer's right hand and it he was air drumming literally how you would actually drum, not the way I air drum, which is like a fucking psychopath. <laughs> like a yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I was like, there was just something so cool about him like air drumming, and it was exactly the same as like yeah. the actual drummer. I just thought that was dope as fuck, which in hindsight isn't. <laughs> um, other thing is when I saw Jimmy Fallon, uh, I was sixteen, I think, maybe seventeen. Um, my mom and my mom saw an ad in the paper. So this is placing it. It was probably 2002. So an ad in the paper was like, do you want to go do this thing? And I was like, yes. I was deeply in love with Jimmy Fallon at the time. I think it's the important backstory. But at the end of the show, we came out and he came out and like shook hands and hugged people. And this was pre-smartphones, obviously. And we made friends with these two adult women who are also super into Jimmy Fallon. And they had a disposable camera. Nope. <laughs> they had a disposable camera. And... I was like, can I get a picture? Like, can you take a picture of me and Jimmy Fallon? And then I'll give you like my address or my email address or whatever. <laughs> and they t- so there is a picture somewhere of 16 year old me and Jimmy Fallon. And I never heard from these people again. And I am obsessed with trying to find that. Like it's it has become like my new like back of mind. Like, how would you even go about saying? Wow. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, isn't it wild? Anyway, Whew. Um, also, fuck them. Well, I mean, you know, they might have lost my card or whatever. Like, they probably got... No, fuck no? them. Oh, just fuck... Or maybe the picture didn't come out. Or maybe they're ghosts. Maybe they never fucking took it, because fuck them. Uh, I thought maybe they didn't take it, because they're ghosts. No. Oh. No. My thing is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so we go back to this hotel room where Gordon is uh, talking to this stunning French woman. I would say canoodling. I love this scene. It tell it. I'm excited that you do because I do too, and I I feel like this could come off as a really troublesome scene f- from a a women yeah a woman's feminist lens. You know what I mean? That yes, and I could see how you could think that, but my reading of it is she's super into Cole and whatever the fuck he's saying she's just delighted by his presence like it doesn't feel like she's like a sullen person Mm -hmm. who like well he's given me drinks so I have to listen to his garbage stories which I -hmm. think most women have experienced at some point but like she is entranced by him and then um uh Albert shows up and he's telling like it's very much the like when you hear the end of jokes in old movies, like, and I said, that's not a penguin, that's my mother-in-law. And like, you never hear this setup, so you just hear kind of the punchline of this. Well, but then you get him reciting an actual joke he did tell her later. <laughs> Wait, when did he tell that joke? When, before Albert got there. He said, her mother-in-law, whatever. Oh. Her, who, was, who was a turnip farmer. Oh, yes. Lost her daughter, but that's why she's in town. And but I said, "Don't worry, she'll turn up eventually." And then just forty-five seconds of silence between these two men. 
She didn't get it either. <laughs> She's here visiting a friend of her mother whose daughter has gone missing. The mother owns a turnip farm. I told her to tell the mother that her daughter will turn up eventually. She didn't get it either. Being French, it doesn't translate. <laughs> it's... It the I genuinely have so much respect for the patience of David Lynch because it is something I have very limited patience. And it's there's something about it that like it doesn't feel like a it doesn't feel indulgent to me. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a Paul Thomas Anderson. Things are really was, long. I was trying or to think of a Tarantino. Good like sometimes things are just really long. Mm-hmm. <sighs> It he chooses the moments to sit with, and they're moments I want to sit with. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't just linger on things for no fucking reason. Yeah, and I think, like you were saying earlier, like the actors probably really enjoyed it because how often as an actor do you get to just sit in silence mm-hmm. and like be this person? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I I really enjoy it. So this woman, um, she gets up. And he, they say, and I th- the bar. I'll, I'll add to that real quick, is I think it comes from David Lynch having tremendous respect for his actors. Mm. Uh, famously, you see and you hear about people telling you how he auditions people and how he directs people that like, I don't want to see you read lines. Mm. Just come in here and talk to me. I'll get a vibe from you. Mm-hmm. Or, and then I'll cast accordingly. And then when we get to scenes, he gives you abstract shit to think about to mm-hmm. get what he wants out of you instead of like, it, you know, I'm going to do this 150 times to get it exactly how I want because I have it in my head and I want you to conform to what's already in my head. Which I don't think that's Lynch is willing to go a, with what he's given. Yeah, I don't, and I don't think that that latter, you know, that example isn't necessarily the wrong way to direct because like I'm a huge Fincher fan sure. and that's Fincher's whole jam. Um but like we uh, I, we mentioned last week that uh, you were watching the behind the scenes in Zodiac and the part I happened to walk in on while Mikey was was watching it was um, Jack. Nope, Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. I had Zach Galifianakis in my mm, head, mm-hmm. and those two words cannot be in my head at the same time. <laughs> um, Jake Gyllenhaal was sitting in a car and. Read, there was a file folder. Yeah, on the read seat something next and threw a file folder onto the passenger seat, and they did it. Like seventy five times or yeah. something ridiculous. It was something. Yeah. Obs- and he got. He's like, oh, I think it's gonna be twenty, and it was like more than fifty, I think. Um, which, whatever, like that's his sure. vision. I think, though, if I had to wager a guess, I would say that Lynch probably sees characters as a collaboration between himself and his actors yeah. instead of yeah, not to be d- demeaned because he immerses like, himself in the puppets. art. He's not trying to create a product. He's immersing himself mm-hmm. in the art of it all. I think. Yeah, I mean, and I think, and you know what's funny is... Um, I'll also, if you want, I realize later you brought up trying to get me to tell my Zodiac story about my first time I saw Zodiac. Oh, yeah. And then we got off topic <laughs> and I never actually told it. Yeah, you tell it. Um, so if you want, I can do that now or I can... Yeah, yeah it's a quick but story, so... I saw Zodiac for the first time at the Bruin View at the Vic in Chicago, which oh, I didn't is I know like, that's where it was. Yeah. Well, because it's not a standard movie theater. It's... Mm-hmm. 
I've never been to a Bruins. It's the it's the Vic is is basically a concert venue. It's right off the Belmont stop in Chicago. Yeah, it's basically I've a concert a venue or a theater times. of sorts, but uh, they play shows there usually. Um, but then they do a Bruin view where they like on weekend nights or whatever, mm-hmm. and they put up a temp screen, mm-hmm. have a projector in the back, and they throw the thing, and the sound is terrible. But you sit and have drinks and watch a movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and they usually do like five dollars to get in double feature mm-hmm. and drinks they yeah. get their money on drinks and whatever but they played zodiac once i think it was a double feature of like fight club and zodiac or something like that and i was like cool they're like hey do you want to be here for 17 hours sure and yeah, that's what it was and it was like oh cool but i went and saw zodiac because i hadn't seen it um and the projection was too big for the screen which didn't look bad by itself until I realized years later that I was missing the entire bottom third of <laughs> what was happening. And that movie jumps around in time a lot. Yes. And location a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's always prefaced with a title that says, this is Van Nuys, California, whatever, 19, whatever. 78. Yeah. Or this jump to this timeline. Mm-hmm. Or this is now before that. Or we're going forward or we're going back. It's not. It's nonlinear. Yeah. And I didn't get any of those things. Because you couldn't see the... Cause, and I, but I didn't know they were there. Right. And so I didn't know that I was missing seat, something. And I was very... just like, this movie just doesn't make any sense. And we don't get an ending. <laughs> like, what the fuck was this? <laughs> You're so bad. And I hated it. And, then and I, you, like me, liked And then I kept picture. hearing people who loved it. <laughs> And I was like, well, what the fuck did I miss? Because I like to do that. If I keep hearing about people loving something that I hate, I will almost always go back and give it another shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do that too. Sometimes it pays off. Mm -hmm. Usually not. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I try to force myself into it. Like I did the same thing with Zodiac. I just bought it. So like if I own it, it'll force me to actually possibly care. (laughs) And I thought it was so much better when I knew what the fuck was happening. Very. And I realized that, like, I never saw these titles. I never saw these titles, and that changes everything. What's the actor's name? John Carroll. John Carroll Lynch. John Carroll Lynch. He's so good. He directed a movie with David Lynch and... Are they related? And Harry Dean Stanton called Lucky. And it's very, very good. He directed that? John Carroll Lynch, yeah. Is and he no, related? he is not related to anything. Oh, funny. Um, to kind of circle back to something we were talking about before in terms of direction, it reminds me a lot of, um, I never was really an actor. I did like musicals and shit in, in high school, but I was a dancer for a long time. And the way, say David Lynch and David Fincher, I think that's a good, first of all, have I told David this, Lyncher? <laughs> have I told this, have mm-hmm. I told the story in here that I thought they were the same person mm-hmm. for 28 year- mm-hmm. <laughs> years? Um, some so i've worked with choreographers before and some choreographers do do that like like david lynch does that the dancer shows up and the choreographer says okay i have this song or i have this concept or whatever and we're gonna find it together whereas other ones are like are very much like I've choreographed this routine with my assistant and i'm going to teach it to you and you'll learn it like and hit it exactly how mm -hmm. i see it yeah they're trying um, to recreate what's in their head. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And those are two utterly valid forms of, of creating mm-hmm. art. 
Anyway. I think the difference is is the idea that like one of them is filmmaking more than art and the other one is art more than filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And I think David Lynch is very much more an artist more than a filmmaker. Yeah, that makes the medium that he just happens to be using. And cuz I think David Lynch is willing to take what he's given and mm-hmm. work with it. That's why like all those jokes we talk about that are sprinkled throughout the season of like oh yeah, the chair didn't work or the lights were happening to flicker i love it let's go with it Mm -hmm. like he's willing to take those things fincher would never allow that to happen ever yeah yeah and i wonder if it's has to do with david lynch finds humans to be very interesting Mm -hmm. and wants to see what they do Mm -hmm. in a very kind of zoo-ish way and that's why you also very rarely see like lynch do like oh i'm gonna do this really like six minute steady cam sequence because it's not about the oh. art is about what's happening not the the it's art is about the, the emotion and, and the, the connection to that and, that's and an so not point. story as much but but lynch does do long takes does he'll he? do long scenes more than long takes oh okay because it feels like a lot of these are like i'm just looking at somebody on camera for five minutes and right well it, and he shoots a lot digital like he'll he probably shoots them as long takes multi-camera. Mm. I'm going to shoot you. I'm going to shoot you. Let's do this scene a bunch of times. And then you're, so when you cut back and forth, you're cutting back to the same shot, mm-hmm. but a different, you know, but it's edited. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you don't see, you know, interesting crane work mm-hmm. or you'll get interesting lighting and things like that. And you'll get like, interesting editing with like mm-hmm. you know the purple room where it was like skipping around and mm-hmm. you'll get a lot of interesting things like that but you don't get a lot but that's all of post or for the most part right? yeah i mean you gotta kind of plan for it or, but yeah. yeah but you don't get a lot of you know he knows when to use a close-up and he knows those things and he knows how to tell an emotional story he's not trying to impress anybody with camera work Mm. He wants the camera work to represent what's on screen rather than like, oh, this wasn't this a really cool shot? He did this long take or he did this, you know, it swoops in or like the the Zolly shot where it zooms in and mm-hmm. like it's he doesn't do those things because he, I think he see, would see them as a distraction from the emotion that's happening on screen. Yeah. And I think it's a good exercise in not attaching like a value judgment to like oh he does these shots so he's a better director than mm-hmm. this person their their I, aims are different one of my favorite like filmmaking sound bites i guess that i've ever heard about like summing up career is i think it was in on an episode of inside the actor studio steven spielberg said when i set out to make a movie and when i'm composing and designing the shots and the things that I want. What I have in the back of my mind is, could you understand this movie if you watched it on mute? Oh, yeah. And, you know, obviously not to negate sound is incredibly important and I do things with sound and stuff too or whatever, but I, I want you, I want to use my shots and when I cut and when I, where I place the camera and all that stuff, I need that to help tell the story. Hmm. And I thought it was a, a great yeah, approach. Very interesting. Um, 
Okay, so we're still with the French woman. So she. It's really what? What's our time right now? Um, an hour twenty-eight. It's right about the hour mark. Like that, I feel like, oh, we're doing well. We're flying through this episode. And then it's right about the hour mark where we like, well, we just went off on a half hour tangent. Is it the hour mark or is it the second glass of wine mark? The same thing. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> uh, God, so this song and dance that this beautiful French woman does is genuinely like, I find it so charming. And the fact that both men are, it's not Albert. Albert, who in some cases has the patience of a saint. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he has zero. But with Mm -hmm. when it comes to Gordon Cole, he has no limit of patience. And for some reason that transfers over to this woman who they ask to leave the room. And she's like, great. I'm going to finish this wine. I'm going to touch up my makeup. Did it feel like you trying to get me to do anything <laughs> there's also there's also a moment i think <laughs> there's also a moment in it that i think is like the old stop and smell the roses adage a take a moment and appreciate the beauty sometimes mm-hmm. and i think that's all this is is like i'm here there's a beautiful woman mm-hmm. take a minute yeah let yeah, it's appreciate that beauty. Yeah, it's in sort of like a dark hotel room that's really like yeah, this is not literally smoky, but has a smoky feel about yeah, it. Yeah, like it's furniture. just this is a beautiful woman. Let's appreciate that she's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's all. And she like in not a sexualized way. It really is not. That's sexual. that's what I think he does really really well in mm-hmm. this scene. That I find. I don't know how he does it. I don't well, know what it is, but it's so playful. And, and he, even though it could be construed in a way that he's looking at her creepy, I don't think he is. It's all just delightful. Well, I, I think it's the way this is shot because it's, well, it, it, I think it's a couple things. It is the expression on the men's face, which mm-hmm. is not leering. It is the fact that she ha- is in that room and is flirting mm-hmm. with Cole and like is very playful. And she is not There's even moments but, of, of Cole or... Um, uh, Albert. Albert looking kind of like kind of turning away of like I'll give you your privacy. That's a good point. You do what you need to do. I'm not going to leer. Mm-hmm. I'll let you You're finish. You're not here for my entertainment. Right. I'll let you do what you need to do. And I'll wait. And it's just such a another example of how Lynch loves to play with timing expectations of and there's also I know who killed Laura Palmer. Okay, now we're gonna sit with pancakes for twenty five minutes. Also outside, like we're all talking. We're all all of us. All all of you and all of me. Daddy, yeah, talking. We're all talking about. She, she heard that. Just the beauty of this woman. Mm-hmm. But they like also the fact that like they they Albert comes. They don't just be like get the fuck out, bitch. Mm-hmm. Men, the men are here. Mm. And it's like, very, I'm going to call you at the bar. Yeah. Would you mind? Yeah. It's very polite. Mm-hmm. It's everything about it is handled so well. Yeah. I, and it's just a sweet, silly scene. Well, and it's the kind of thing. <laughs> she like kicks up her leg. Yeah, I love that. It feels like the kind of thing when people are like, oh, cancel culture. I bet you're mad at David Lynch for doing whatever. And it's like. Were it not for toxic masculinity, we could have more mm-hmm. examples of women just being beautiful and yeah. funny and playful, and it's not like, lecherous. Sex it's, has a place in in movies. Yes, it belongs. Sex has a place in life. Mm-hmm. 
it belongs in cinema as well as long as it's handled well. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, I genuinely, I like this scene as Good. a I'm test glad. of our patience. I like this scene as a, you know, let's take a breath and mm-hmm. like look at something lovely mm-hmm. because this woman is having fun and enjoying and, herself. And you get, you see this grin on Cole's face. He's just so happy about all of yeah, it. I, I, you never see that smile ever. But and I think what she's, maybe it's what she's doing is a little bit self-indulgent as uh-huh. opposed to performative. She's just sort of like living her life, talking yeah. about the wine. If, if I want to be here. If you're going to make me leave, I'm going to make a show. <laughs> because that's what I want to do. And it's like, yep, I, we're going to let you. I think the the key, like if I had to try to put my finger on why I don't find out lunch. And, and that's not to say, I'm sure there's a, sure, there's plenty of people who I'm sure who did not like it. And that's fine. I absolutely respect that. But I think there is something that all three of those people really want to be in that room. And so they're just sort of like playing with that as opposed to a lot of times in that case, like we see women who are a little bit trapped mm-hmm. or they're being There's, talked, literally talked over, like over her head, pretending she's not there, or that she's like a dumb, mm-hmm. a, a dumb, like a literal dummy. She is given agency. Mm-hmm. And we and that's not always the case. It also helps that she seems to be of a reasonable age. Strong point. Like it isn't, this isn't that he's got some... 26 year old woman in there Michael that's an extremely good point like she all she's definitely younger than David Lynch and undeniably stunning like to me she felt like very like 1950s French she looks yeah she looks like she's probably in her mid 50s Mm -hmm. and Cole is 70 Mm -hmm. they're both adults that but that's so that's a huge discrepancy but it's not like him and yeah, once you some hit, 26 year old once you're both over 40 it's yeah. probably fine and she might be older and i think cole is kind of playing young like you know younger than lynch a little bit in this yeah maybe You've i said just said that a few times i just i don't know what you i think it it's just because i'm always a little bit shocked at how like spry and versatile david lynch still is at mm. his age but I feel like you have done the he's playing younger a few times. And I think it just comes from my own surprise of David Lynch. No, no, but not about David Lynch. I'm talking oh. like the the thing I'm thinking of is after we saw Hobbs and Shaw and I was furious that oh, Vanessa oh, Kirby oh, 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 and yeah. Jason Statham were, spo- were shown as like children together and he's 20 years older yeah. than her. And you're like, well, he was playing younger. Like, Well, because I think he's another one that like People are surprised to find out how old Jason Statham is. Fifty now, probably. I think he's fifty. Like I think he's like now. I think he's like fifty-five or something. But like people are surprised to find out how old he is. So the assumption that is he's younger, and I think ninety percent of people on screen are playing younger. Mm -hmm. So David Lynch was born in forty-six, right? Which puts him at seventy-five this year. Mm -hmm. So we figured out that. Who fucking cares? Um, David Lynch is 75 and Jason Statham was born in 67. So that makes him, you're born in 79 and you're 41 plus 12. So he's 53. Yeah. So that's, I mean, he seems like a guy who's playing a 40 year old. But Vanessa Kirby is 26. No, I know. There is I'm, I'm no not, universe. I'm not saying that it's not a little jarring, but I'm. I think both of them are a little bit 
Yeah, well, and also... Meeting in the Honestly, middle. it would have been more acceptable if they didn't do the flashbacks to show that they are five years apart as children oh. or whatever. Like, honestly, that's what shattered the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, whoa, whoa, wait, you're saying that these two were And both, that's it. Otherwise, Hobbs and Shaw is a perfectly plausible movie. I mean, airtight. Yeah, I'd I can't I can't find anything hole. that doesn't seem totally rational and yeah. reasonable. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I love that movie. It's so bad. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so, okay, so the woman in red, the French woman, uh, leaves. Sorry, the hiccups. Again, and then this is also, like, I don't know if it means anything, but one of at least three people, in the three women, I guess should say, even in this episode who are wearing black and red. Diane in the beginning is wearing black and red. Mm-hmm. She's wearing, wearing black and red. And then Audrey later, when she puts oh, on her Audrey. jacket, is black and red. Um. Laura Palmer is not. Did you notice either way? I don't think she was. Laura's not in this. Episode. Not Laura Palmer. Uh, excuse me, Sarah Palmer. Oh, oh no, she's wearing like browns and oh, no. stuff. Like, yeah. Um. So uh, the woman leaves, and Albert tells uh, Gordon about the messages that Diane sent and received. So they mm-hmm. have. Full transcripts of whatever she's saying. So she has no secrets mm-hmm. from them. And this is the Las Vegas yes. night. They didn't, they didn't ask They me. didn't ask me, yeah. Um, which is funny that, like, they're giving this... I think that's part of it, too, is that, like, we can afford to spend some time here and be patient with these because it's not new information for us. We saw that exchange. Mm. We're just finding out that now they know it. Mm-hmm. So there's no, like, new information in this scene. It's just indulgent. Well, and what's... That's a good point. And the other thing is, like, he didn't... I feel like what you could have done if you wanted to, like, maintain some suspense or whatever is she sees the text message and then we see her typing but don't see the screen and she sends it. And now we see this is what the return was. Yeah. That that would be a very traditional way of, like, adding tension. And Mm -hmm. they just opted out. Yeah. And it's... Like, it's it's like he enjoys putting in the stuff that would be on a cutting room floor anywhere else. Yeah. J- David Lynch just seems like the kind of person who likes, like, gardening or whatever. Just He's sort a woodworker. Of, yeah. Okay. Fucking perfect. Like, yeah. that's basically... He does a lot just of that, yeah. those, like, sort of slow, contemplative mm-hmm. tasks that are... You know, you end up with something, but it's not really the point. Like, mm-hmm. I don't grow vegetable gardens because we like jalapenos so much. It's just very yeah. satisfying to, to I, do this thing. I'm excited. To, I'm I'm thinking when we finish this series, mm-hmm. before we jump into the works of David Lynch and the work, single work of Mark Frost, <laughs> um, I, my thought was go chronologically of release. That would be my thought, yeah. Um. But I'm thinking about doing The Art Life, the David Lynch, I guess it's a doc, but not really, but it's about David Lynch and his approach to art <laughs> um, first. Oh. Just because, like, you really get an idea of, like, how David Lynch approaches everything. Yeah, and I, I think, think that might be good information to have going mm-hmm. into a racer head or whatever. Would you want to do, I've meant to ask you this for a long time but I, I keep forgetting to do you think we should watch any like behind the scenes stuff and do an episode about that or do because I very much would like to watch like the behind the scenes stuff of Twin Peaks of this yeah. oh um, I we can I, I, I don't know if that would be worth 
be warned, I guess. Like if we watch everything that's included in this, you're looking at like six hours of footage. That's six or eight hours, I think, something like that. Yeah, no, that's fine. And but um, I don't know if that would be conducive to an episode because we tend to yeah, use the plot I mean, as a jumping yeah. off point. And if there's no plot, I mean, which we're gonna run into later. You're anyway. gonna run into that with you know. Yeah. Anyway, some, we can some other thing or yeah anyway I, I think I would just have to be more diligent about like note taking because with this I it's really easy for me to like pull up what I was thinking mm-hmm. when I read this out loud but like I, I wouldn't know how to begin to structure yeah a show that is based off vignettes I guess yeah anyway um okay so we go to okay so we're with um Hutch and Chantal Chantal um, who are staking out Dwight Murphy's home, which I had to look it up while you he's were talking. The he's the warden. He's the one with Mr. Strawberry, mm-hmm. with the dog. Mm-hmm. So Mr. C killed this guy's dog. And then, Do you have his name? Um, his name is... The actor? Yeah, it's... Um, it's... James Morrison. James Morrison, yes. He was... Can I just have a mom? It was a Van Morrison joke. He was in like 24. I always want to call him. He was in 24. Mm. And so um, now that you said his real name, I just forgot it. And I was like, I always want to call him by his 24 and a Buchanan. James yeah, I always Morrison. want to call him Buchanan, which is his mm. 24 name. But um, he's great. I, I, I like him a lot. Very good. This scene is rough for me to this watch. This scene is tough. Yeah. Like the way that kid... And way to put like this weight on it, and then just show absolutely how callous these people are. Yeah, it's extreme. Like the way they talk about like, oh, and he's even like, oh, well, I can just I can wing him in the leg, and Mm -hmm. we can kidnap him if you really want to torture him. Yeah, because we can do that. I'll do that for you. Yeah. No, that's fine. I'm hungry. I just want to go to Wendy's. Like that's the thing is so it's so mundane. Yeah, it's, it's. yeah, it's an errand that they have. Yeah. To, that they have to cross off. Except for list. like, but it's not because she genuinely enjoys like the torture part of it. Like mm. that's the thing is like they he he seems more business like to it. Sure. And normally they would want to torture. She would want to torture him, but she's hungry now, so mm-hmm. she doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. Not tonight. Yeah. Kind of thing. Um. So yeah, that's rough. The kid, that kid's acting is outstanding. I mean. It's a quick clip, but like it's very. It, that's the kind of shit. And the way, the like, so he gets shot once in the back, and he mm-hmm. falls forward, and then he starts kind of lifting his head to like crawl, and the way his head just snaps forward is so quick and like jarringly real. Yeah, and I and per- maybe that's not. I it feels like that would be sure. real. I don't. Neither know. I've never seen, seen a man get shot in the head. Yeah, with but, a rifle. Yeah, um, and I think, honestly, I am not anti-violence in movies by any stretch. Uh, like you said about like the sex thing, I think there's a place for mm-hmm. for everything. And, there's violence in the world. There's yeah. sex in the world. And also yeah. we're monsters and like to, you know, like 2,000 years ago we were watching Christians getting eaten by like lions. So yeah. let's not pretend we're too good for some violence on screen. Um, but I do think it's, and I'm using the word responsible and I'm not sure if that's the right word I want to use, but responsible to like, sit in it it's not like oh you shoot a guy and he falls off a cliff and you never it's oh you're gonna watch this guy get shot try to recover get shot again die and then watch his son react to that like we're going to get in time, deep time it's with also him. not sitting with it oh i disagree 
Like I feel like it gives you everything, but it's it's the juxtaposition of the callousness of the act. To yes, me. but I, I think he does a good job going from the callousness of the killers to the actual profound impact that this man's violent death. But is you going never to have. even go down there. It's all wide. But you see the kid react to it. But and from to, their point of view, still though, like at but least. But that's just. I think that's just you putting your own fucking uh, empathy on it. I mean, what else? Are you I supposed don't. To feel I don't think kids screaming and crying over. His you dad's would need corpse. to go down there and get a shot of the child, a close up of the child. You you saw how much time we spent with yeah. this woman putting on her shoes and makeup and yeah. leaving. Yeah. How much time do we spend on that? And this scene is fucking. 10, 15 seconds, and they're talking about fucking going to Wendy's. I think this doesn't do, like, I think that's, I think it does this justice, but in a way, it, by opposite, by not sitting with it. Because mm-hmm. I think, like, the fact that it's all wide, yeah. you're, you're seeing it all from top of the hill, mm-hmm. like. But I guess my, the, the point, I, and I think you're right, I think it's a really good point. I guess what I was trying to do is it wasn't a we see somebody's like, you know, squib go off in somebody's mm-hmm. shirt and they fall to the ground and like you never see that person again. It's more you see like you said, like it was jarring you for see you a to man see die. like Yeah. You, it, you to s- watch him die right. horribly. You don't just assume they've died. Right. right. And I, then I, also sure. watching a young boy mm-hmm. discover the corpse of his father to me is it, it 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 seems like another moment of Lynch doesn't put a lot of closure on anything, mm-hmm. and this scene could be boom. We killed this guy like we were supposed to. Mm-hmm. Drive closure. Away. Drive away. I mean, you could do the whole shot without breaking from from the two of them, sure. Hutch and Chantel. Like, sure. We never have to see him die. Right. We can just watch them be like sure. fucking around, shoot a guy, drive away. And you you could, even with the closure of him dying and you seeing him shot in the head, he's dead. That's mm-hmm. a safe assumption. Mm-hmm. Here's the kid coming out, potentially starting a new story. Mm. If we ever wanted to, we could go back and watch that kid's journey grow up about his da- how his dad died in front of him, and we've got a whole new fucking spinoff. Yeah, we're, I mean, we've talked like, about that with so many characters. Everything has an out, and that's like the beauty of Twin Peaks is that this world building is how every single thing that happens affects someone else. And it's the way he tells this a lot of times when you're seeing like a community, you know, a story that happened in, in a community everything sort of circles back to the main point. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking of, I just watched, um, I can't think of what it's called, David Tennant, Olivia Coleman, Broadchurch. Oh, Broadchurch. Broadchurch. Broadchurch, where you see a lot of different people and ultimately every piece of information you get gets folded plays. back into yeah. who, d- it plays, exactly. Whereas Lynch does a thing mm-hmm. that you might, and it makes you pay attention. It's, I feel like the difference is like, you might never see these people again. And I haven't watched Broadchurch, so I don't know how that plays, but other mysteries like that. Start with, here's the resolution, and this is a big wide circle of all the things that happen, and we slowly compress that information into the event that happened mm-hmm. when we tell the story of how this person mm-hmm. got killed or whatever. And David Lynch started with, a body is found dead on a shore. Let's build 
out from there. So as things build out, you get less and less information about get blurry it gets edges. yeah oh this may be important it may not be like, okay, we can we maybe go back teacher. there if we choose to yeah. like like you know who thought miriam was going to be a, a right. major playing character like right. we nobody like we came back into this we thought we're what 12 episodes in mm-hmm. we thought we were going to get fucking audrey horn Where's yeah. she been for the last 12 hours? And we haven't seen fucking Dale Cooper. We kind of. I mean, we sort of have. But like. But as. Right. And where's Big Ed? We know he's in the cast list. God, we haven't, we haven't seen, seen Big, Big Ed, Ed yet. Like there's a lot of. There's people we haven't seen. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's people like we've. Yeah, we've seen. We've seen uh, Nadine, but barely. Mm-hmm. Like. We see her only in reflection of. Yeah. Of. We haven't, we haven't, we've saw a a fleeting three seconds of James Hurley. Mm -hmm. Like we haven't. We we, saw the guy whose name I can never remember for five minutes. The blonde one who fucks Nadine when he's in high school. Oh, Mike. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus. And it's your name too. You would. I just didn't know who you were talking about. I was trying to place who you were talking about. You didn't get it from the person I can never remember. Yeah, that's really rude, Michael. Jesus, Um, listen to me when I talk. Yeah, but like that's. But we've spent significant time with these other people who we'd never met before. Yeah, we don't have emotional attachment to. Do Do we care about Stephen Burnett? Do we? Becky's husband. Oh, 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 oh. yes, yes, yes. And oh. he was in your scene with Mike. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> like, wait, who's Mike? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but like, it's, it's, it feels like genuine world building. Like we're mm-hmm. at, like, Twin Peaks. This world really exists, and we're never going to know all of it. We're just going to drop in, visit with yeah. a couple characters, and see what they're doing today. Ca- like, that's why when they pull in new characters, it doesn't seem weird. Because mm-hmm. that's how life works. Yeah. You meet new people. Yeah. You meet somebody's it doesn't seem like, yeah, sister all of a from sudden, a convent. All of a sudden, this person comes in, and it's like, oh, well, we're going to change the direct- mm-hmm. to trajectory of the story. Mm-hmm. Like, no. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so speaking of Dr. Amp, we see Jacoby, who's doing another... Full on rant. Or the same one that we've seen? Was it the same? I Well, he re-showed that one commercial of him well, digging himself. But before that, the whole like, does he intro every episode like this with the it's seven o'clock? Do you know we're lighting the lamp for liberty? Lighting oh, the lamp. Yeah, that I think is just his intro. Or does he but like I don't know, but it's Wait, are you asserting that he might do the same thing? I'm show? wondering if this is a continuation of the scene we saw, uh, a scene we saw before. I do not think so. I think that okay. the way he does it's seven o'clock, blah, 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 is his. Well, I know that, but then kind of continues on to a little bit of the same stuff. I mean, I think that's just when, I mean, how many times have we said the same fucking shit? And, then that's fine. Like, and especially if you're like not. That's what I'm asking. Yeah. I'm, especially if you're not like talking to somebody, you're just monologuing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's easy to... And clearly what he cares about is, like, money, anti-capitalism, until he has to sell his shovels, two coats of paint, guaranteed. And he admits that their painted gold is the thing I clicked in with today. Yeah, two coats, guaranteed. It's not like he is pretending that they are solid gold shovels. He's like, these are... Hey, everybody, these are shitty shovels that I painted gold twice. But I did it 
twice, so it's so, legit. Yeah. Like it's it's so you can tell it's so wonderful. Yeah, it's good. And then we see another shot of Nadine who's watching from her store. This says, yeah. is that where she's always watching? Yeah, she, we get. Oh, because the, they show the establishing shot. Of, they, I don't know that they ever they have yet. Have they? I don't remember. They might. have. They did last episode because I saw the okay. shovel. And we but she's in the back room, and they they see we see her come out later at another mm. part. Um, so we get the confirmation of that, but she's also like she drinks out of this like smoothie thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I, that's an interesting choice. Like it's like she sits down and makes her like blended smoothie, but I don't you know, know why that is. So funny about that is as soon as she was. And this is me projecting, but as soon as she was sipping out of that smoothie, my immediate thought was like multi-level marketing of like Herbalife or whatever. Yeah. Like she seems like someone who would fall for whatever gimmicky thing of like lose weight now by only starving yourself. You need to watch Los Spookies because they do a little bit with multi-level marketing. I've been meaning to. It's very funny. I find Julio Torres very funny, but I just never. It's a delight. It's only six episodes. Um. Also, you would like Broadchurch, I think. Because it's not like a murder... It's a murder mystery, but it's like this. It's about a community. Yeah. I think you'd enjoy it. Um, okay, so we have our first intro of Audrey Horn. Finally. Finally, and, yeah. And How initial, many episodes is this total? 18? The like, series? The whole series. The, the season three is 18, yeah. 18, okay. Um, but so they we're do in the back third this, already. This dolly shot, this like... That moves left, and then you, f- boom! She enters the frame from frame left, mm-hmm. facing frame left, and like this, a great reveal of like, here we go, there she is, mm-hmm. yay! And you just get like, giddy. I love it because you're like, yes, here she Finally. is. Finally, get Audrey. What the fuck is going on? Mm-hmm. Like it's a weird immediately. Scene. It makes it's me- so strange. It it's so strange and it makes me so curious about yes. what the fuck is going on in this marriage. So um I, I okay. have suspicions. We'll get into them a little later, I think, of what all this means and how this is all happening based mm-hmm. on what we get wrapped up with Audrey. Mm-hmm. But we'll get into that later. Okay. I think. Um, so, uh, Audrey Horn is, we understand through this conversation, she's married to a man named Charlie. More importantly, Audrey Horn is alive and well, seemingly. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so she's married to a man named Charlie and she goes into his, what seems like his home office mm-hmm. and says that they need to go to the roadhouse because she needs to find Billy, who we sort of surmise is her lover. Right. My, piece, I think... From, so, the name Billy, we hear, this is the first name she drops, which is one of like five or six or something ridiculous. Billy, Tina. Oh, they list them off? No, just the two. Oh, Tina. Tina's the person he calls. Yeah, there's a Chuck, there's a Paul, there's another woman's name in there, I think. Well, and honestly, when, um, when Lynch does this, he tends to use very like boring ass names. Yes, that yeah. makes it even harder to, yeah. to track. And I, it's that's absolutely, um, and I think you know they're unimportant. But I think Bill. Here's the thing about Billy that I think, and I don't. It doesn't mean anything long term. But there, the other time you hear Billy, is the person who busts open the door of the double R and <gasps> says, "Has anyone seen Billy?" 
and then leaves. Yeah. That's a that's the Billy reference. And then we Billy is missing for two days. So presumably missing Billy is the same person. Oh, I didn't connect that. Um also the guy because he talks about his truck was stolen. So we know Billy owns a truck. Okay. There's that guy that we met that Andy talks to. Where the tr- mm-hmm. where Richard Horn had stolen his truck, and if his mom is Audrey Horn, seems like he would know Billy. Uh-huh. So maybe Richard borrowed this truck from Billy, and that guy we met who didn't show up to meet Andy mm-hmm. is Billy because, and that's why he didn't show up is that he's missing or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the truck reference that Clark or sorry, the actor is Clark Charlie. Um, the truck that he mentions makes me think of the truck that was used in the hit and run. Mm-hmm. And then that guy who we never got a name for is that Billy. And if it is, where did he go? Mm-hmm. So did he leave because he didn't want to meet with Andy? Was he unable? Was he was barred he, from meeting Andy? So, okay. Taken. Or is it a, just a different Billy with a different truck? Right. Um, or who the fuck is he? Even if it is him. Yeah. Who the fuck is he and what does he have to do with anything? Right. Um, so, so the, oh God, the tension in this scene is tricky for me. I, it makes me very well, uncomfortable. It, it feels like a conversation with her therapist. You think? Every, like, he does, like, the way he reacts, first of all, he sits back almost the entire time in his chair. Mm-hmm. And every she's getting heightened and frantic, and everything she says. But do we really need to go right now? Mm-hmm. And he keeps lowering the situation, like, like it's a De- thing de-escalated. Yeah, I. It's a thing we always learned in um, something Jeff Carrier taught me actually. When you're dealing, like I used to do front lines support for whatever on on phones with customers for, for our software product. Um. But a thing he taught me was when people are coming in hot and angry, go really, really low and really, really soft and really, really slow over the top. And then eventually you slowly start meeting in the middle uh-huh. and they start coming down to match you. Mm-hmm. And you can start getting more forceful. And eventually you meet in the middle at a point where you can actually have a conversation. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Um, and it feels like that's kind of what he's doing here. Yeah. It, do we really? I'm really sleepy. I've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. And do it's, we really need to go right now? Which is yes, we need to go right now. We need to go talk to. Why don't you call Tina? Do you really want me to call Tina right now? Like it feels like she's talking to her therapist. Mm-hmm. I mean, he feels very condescending. This is not his partner. This is his ward, almost. Like this is a right. person who he needs to mind. Right. Um. <laughs> another. In, uh, instance of David Lynch and Mark Frost never having had a desk job and he's like look at all this paperwork I have to do and like you don't say if yeah. you actually have like paperwork to do you're look at I have to file these receipts or I have to do this. it's not look at these stacks of paper right. on my desk look how busy so, that's like how Trump thinks work <laughs> work works yeah <clears throat> We're, just take a picture of a big binder and that means work yeah um Okay, so I'll I'll jump in a little bit on what I, my thought is, um, and that'll become clearer later when we get more on Audrey. But I don't think any of this is actually happening. 
I, I don't think any of this is real. I think everything is <laughs> as a, everything is a little bit fake. And I think this is... She is over the top. What she's over the top. He's sounds like a doctor of sorts. Look at this paperwork. And it's stacks of paperwork. He even She even says like, oh, well, what fucking crystal ball do you have? He's got a fucking crystal ball on his desk. And like, there's things in this that feel false. And not only that, dated. Like... You did point out a rotary he, phone. There's rotary no, phone. there's nothing beyond the 1990s in this scene mm-hmm. that, f- or there's nothing I see it like even like the stamp that he has for the paper is like a very old, yeah. boom like old boom stamp. Like, you know what else? Wait, can I add yeah. add something? When your when your shot is on Audrey. Hmm? She's standing in front of either a solid red wall, but the way it, it looks like she's standing in front of like red curtains, like in the red room, mm-hmm. which maybe would add to your yeah your th- theory that I think not quite right. I think she. I think this is inside Audrey's head. Do you think Charlie is real? I think Charlie is a manifestation of a real person. She's hearing. So if she's in like a comatose state still, potentially, not saying, I don't know if she's been in a coma for 25 years, Uh which is plausible in the world of Twin Peaks. Sure. Which is another very soap opera. I I think she could potentially hear things that are happening and this is the dream world that she's creating. Hmm. And she hears a doctor talking to her as a patient and she's manifested this oh he's my husband paternalistic husband that she is yeah Um, but also doesn't understand hasn't grown up enough to know technology has advanced so that's why she still sees it as an old rotary phone from the 90s or things like that I are future events going to flush this out better or is this just sort of a theory or Potentially, but every one of the scenes that she's in is fucking weird, man. And I okay, I'm glad you brought that up because I think I think Sherilyn Finn's a very good actor. I think for some reason in this scene she comes off as very exaggerated in a way that I don't like the when he's on so he calls somebody and as he's just like sort of bullshitting with her on the phone, she's getting more and more friend, and she's doing these like arm gestures that are so sure. like cartoonish. And, and I, I think I think a little bit of that is warranted in that to her she's very very upset that mm-hmm. her lover Billy is missing. And wait a second, you're on the phone with someone who might know who where he is, and it sounds like you're getting information, and you're not. You're not fucking giving any of it to yeah. me tell me tell me you get you get frantic in that moment when you realize this guy's just withholding yeah. for no fucking reason yeah. and i think that is a little bit warranted mm-hmm. um she also mentions that she had a dream about billy that he was bleeding from the mouth and nose and sometimes dr- dreams hearken a truth or whatever she mm-hmm. says there um Charlie says he has too much paperwork. He's sleepy. He says that they start searching tomorrow morning, which is interesting because she's not saying let's like go 
tramp through the woods and try to find a body. She's like, we should go to this bar yeah. where I think he might be or might have been or people know. Right. And he's like, can we go tomorrow morning? Like, which at the time it didn't clock in with me, but like, you don't, you're not going to go to the roadhouse at 10 in the morning and expect also, to get any information from but it. But also, I think that's just to appease her. Oh. Like, I don't think he wants to go in the morning. right now. Like, and then I'll- we... He's been missing for two days. We've called people. No one knows where he is. He's not just at the only bar in this fucking town. Mm-hmm. He's not just there. Yeah. That's that's not where he is. Yeah, that's fair. You're being, you know... Fr- and then I think the coma thing or, or whatever... Maybe she's in a coma. Maybe she's whatever. Maybe this is just a dream she had a long time ago mm-hmm. while she was in a... I don't know. That's all murky. I haven't really fleshed out a theory. I just kind of have ideas and then I forget about it. Um, but <laughs> so the name of this podcast. Some, yeah, someone else can figure out the theory. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plant a seed. You guys figure it out. <laughs> um, but like that's, I think, why they keep going back to the sleepiness is that like she's tired mm. and she can't wake up. Interesting. And she, ah, we should go, but I'm just so tired. Yeah. Like we, like and I want to go to the, I want to get up, I want to wake up and go to the roadhouse. I can't, because God, because I'm still just so tired. Yeah, and also the word, the fact that he he con- he consistently says sleepy. He doesn't say I'm yeah. tired. I'm not exhausted. He says I'm sleepy, which is so a very sleepy. childish word. Yeah. And like, I feel like I wouldn't call myself sleepy unless I was like dozing off where I sat mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. opposed to like if I just want to mm-hmm. go to bed I would just say I'm tired or I'm exhausted or whatever that's I didn't like the fact that he said sleepy stuck yeah. out to me and I wonder if that is like maybe that's yeah. something a teenage girl would have said and she is still yeah, or a teenage just girl. it's not just tired it's sleepy I'm asleep I'm not awake I'm not living you know awake in the world right now or whatever uh, so they so they bicker, um, talking about their potential divorce. Then Charlie eventually calls Tina and begrud- begrudgingly agrees to go to the roadhouse afterwards. And then you get three more names or whatever. Oh yeah. He receives some grave news, but blankly refuses to tell Audrey anything about the conversation. And this this adds to I think that concept of. She can potentially hear one side of a conversation. Mm-hmm. But so then, he's on the phone with somebody else in sure. her room. And then when she wants to get more information, just dead air. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't get that more information. It, I don't have because, to that. Because, yeah, when you're, when you're building this w- false world in your, within your own head, mm-hmm. you're pulling from existing things, mm-hmm. existing information that you know to happen or true or extrapolating You're not generating on, new information. Yeah, to generate like and when we get to a point where there is new information to be generated we can't because we just don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we I, I like the scene so Diane goes back to the bar that we saw her at earlier when she was drinking the martini um, and she does this whole thing she's like I know you're closed thank you like yeah. they give her a drink and I don't know why I genuinely really loved the fact that they had people doing like their side work yeah, yeah. in the background. It felt very, very authentic. Yeah. And um, it and it also kind of shows that it's a good chance they've been there a while. Like we know they've been there in a while in, in Buckhorn. They probably been staying oh, it seems like they've been staying in the same I hotel. See what you mean. And she's there every fucking mm-hmm. night. So you know what? When you come in a little late, I got you. 
you've been here a while. I know you. there's nowhere else to drink. I'll give you a drink while well, we're closing up. Well, and also there's definitely a difference between like the customer, like back when we waited tables, there's a difference between customers that you feel comfortable doing your closing work around right. versus those that you have to keep up the the pretense of like, I'm here for yeah. you. Like well, people, uh, I, I'm i important. Yeah. You need to not, you need to wait till I'm done before you close your shit. Oh. Yeah. is. Yeah, I fucking hate people. Oh, my God. I just had such a memory of these people who would always close down the Bart Rosebud. And, like, it was the work because it was in the loop. And so after about 7 o'clock, the loop is dead. The loop in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And so I was always a little, Theater like, district, specifically. Yeah, like. yeah, in the theater district. But, like, really, most places in the loop, like, sure. it's, it's pretty. Anyway just these people were just hanging out like drinking wine and i i think i'd been having a shit night anyway which makes sense because i was waiting tables and wasn't great at it and they that place you made dick money i didn't make shit money but i just remember being like so angry about like the fact that i'm just sitting here and like i knew they could tell and i didn't care because i was just like i don't like and they were regulars and i was still like i don't think oh god i i just don't i don't miss being at somebody's beck and call like that anyway yeah, um i i still get anxiety about being a server bartender back in the day like, oh i still have server i haven't done it in 20 years or whatever almost but yeah i god, man, no it's not even not 20 I, years. I don't know why i said that but time time doesn't because well <laughs> we've been together for 10 years um, 11 years yeah shit it's been much closer god i feel like it feels like forever ago Oh, God. It really does. But well, you're right. It was 2011 is the last time you worked at Geno's because that's when I was Yeah, I was going to say um, 11. Yeah. Yeah, so 10 years. Cause, and then I did the few years in AV and then I, am yeah, wow. Yeah. Whew. Anyway, like, it's I mad, mad respect, mad props to those people and they get fucking shit on regularly. It's, ugh, yeah, you're 100% right. It's genuinely like. It's a very, very difficult job. It's such a hard job. And when you're good at it, it makes it look so easy. But it's not mm. easy. And the fact that, like, society treats it like it's... the Where we're at now in the world, we're like, these people are essential workers. We need to keep them open. We need to do all this stuff. But, like, God forbid we pay them enough. Yeah. If is, that shit is insane. Yeah, this is absolutely not the moment to right. get in on this. But it's, like, my favorite thing of, like how capitalism is bullshit because when the gar- when there's that garbage man strike in New York in I think the 80s maybe mm-hmm. shit broke the fuck down mm-hmm. you miss one week of garbage pickup and that's the especially in New, in New York because it's not like and they don't hidden have in the alleys they don't and have shit. alleys it, it was like like oh, blocking Manhattan or like fucking Oof. Fifth Avenue and yeah. shit like yeah um, but and like if every high-end financial consultant just disappeared, nobody would notice <laughs> except mm-hmm. for rich people. But mm-hmm. we pay them $100,000 plus a year and... Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. Anyway, that's our just tiny little socialist message in this broader episode. Um So, Diane... All because some people were doing some side work in the back. Listen, I respect the no, side I, work. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, so she, uh, so she, okay, so Diane's in the bar. She 
remember and I'm glad you pointed out that she does like a mnemonic of device to remember, remember the, the numbers because otherwise that because she says cord I'm so grateful that you said that because it would I would have completely been lost of her just sitting going cord and, and like typing in numbers and they like they show a callback they, sh- they show the, the callback but like I wouldn't have understood stuff, why yeah. she was saying coordinates very slowly yeah yeah but so so she doesn't have a picture she's just locked it in and she, we the benefit for the audience is, is that we get remembering it by using this pneumatic device which is how she was able to look yeah. at that so, so presumably this is that same night right question mark yeah um and so she drops his coordinates into like google maps or whatever the <laughs> twin peaks version of that yeah, is gene- like it's literally just like a search bar on top of a picture of the united states <laughs> where you want to go and then i punch in numbers and yeah, apparently, I don't know. I bet you could search coordinates on a... I mean, you can search coordinates, but, like, it's just... And then, like, she just keeps touching the screen anywhere on the screen, and it zooms in to Twin Peaks. Like, it's just so... I did... Dumb, but... I liked how the slow zoom it, because that's such a, like, part of small town life is, like, okay, I know I live here. Your city name to, doesn't even show up until you get... <laughs> you have to, like, like zoom in until, until you get like, into, like, street-level sh- view. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But uh, is this the first time we see where Twin Peaks is on a map? Uh, probably the first time we see it, but the very first monologue of oh, he says Cooper. It's it's whatever miles from the border, and yeah. Um. So we go back to the roadhouse. We see once again the chromatics, or at least recognize the woman. It's chromatics, yeah. Um, the chromatics. They're playing. uh, I think it's called Saturday. Yeah, it's not all like. And it's Johnny Jewel, I think, is playing with him. But I didn't clock any of that. Yeah, but yeah, whatever. It's just another one of those mm-hmm. ethereal bands. Sure. Uh, so we cut to a booth where same um, booth is it? I was. It just seems about like to it's every one of these is in the same booth. I wonder if it's okay. Okay, this is late for one of my patented theories, but here we go. <laughs> Let's go. Let's rock. I should say. Now, was, do you want me to edit it so you said let's rock immediately? Let's rock! It's weird energy. Okay. <laughs> I like it at all. Um, dun-na-na, dun-na-na. Okay. Is that better? No, no it's sports not sports, in? though. No? Okay. Um, so, children. Oh, my God. Future. <laughs> no? <laughs> at some point, Stars and Strings Forever is played in this. Oh, it's after it's Dr. Dr. Ram's thing. And no matter what, when I hear Stars and Stripes forever, at the end I hear those stars and stripes, those crazy stripes, let's end together from The Simpsons. And then I mentioned that to Mikey, and he won't stop singing the children are our future song. Children, children, <laughs> future, future. Um, <laughs> so, oh, okay, so my theory. So, God, probably between 20 and 30 years ago, um... This American Life, which I guess is probably closer to 20 years ago. This American Life went to... Um, okay, you know the theater that is at Southport and... Lincoln? Anyway, there's a theater. The uh, the It's not the Animantium Theater. It's the Athenium? 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 I thought it was Athenium. It's Athenaeum, I think. Anyway, but you know that that theater? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a 24-hour diner that's in that same intersection. Okay. That name, I, I've been there a couple times. The name escapes me because they're all named like Golden something. Sure. <laughs> Golden Bacon. 
Um, oh, that sounds delicious. <laughs> but and it's not the Double R or Haps Diner or not to my knowledge, okay. but I haven't been there in a while. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, but so they sent NPR reporters in to stay in that diner for 24 hours and just interview random people who come in and out. Hmm. So they have a couple cops who are on an overnight shift. And then like, so, and the only reason I can kind of place it in time is that it's some like high school or like teenage girls who are trying to meet a boy and they go to the payphone to page him. He's Hmm. supposed to show, he said he was going to come here at 1030, but Hmm. it's 11 and he's not here. And it's just very, it's, absolutely a slice of life of like what kind of we're gonna stay in this diner for 24 yeah, hours and it sounds awesome yeah it's very cool I'll, I'll, I'll maybe we'll listen to it on our next drive somewhere um but that is what i'm kind of placing on this booth that it's just lynch picked a booth and said okay i'm just gonna think of scenarios of just random people like everybody has a story so the story is gonna be whoever is sitting in this booth mm-hmm. it's whatever petty garbage they're worried about yeah that is my estimation of what he was going for, of like a slice of life of Twin Peaks that we don't get background or or payoff on. I I like me. I like yeah, I do. I like that thought. And I like me. I like that you're putting thought behind it, but to me, it feels like I just need you to say you like me. It's just really <laughs> I important. like you, Thank you a lot, Jessica. Uh, um, a lot. <laughs> I think it's just the set that they have. <laughs> it's easiest to shoot in the middle booth because then you can shoot left uh, to one side of the booth and you've got two or three booths on the side. You can shoot right to the other side and you've got two or three booths on the side. And it's all just the set that they have. It's easiest to shoot in the middle booth. Okay, when we ultimately meet David Lynch, this is going to be the one okay. question we ask okay. him. <laughs> was Golden... Ch- oh God, I wish I could remember. It's not the Golden Nugget, is it? It's not the Golden Nugget. Okay. Which the Golden Nugget is a chain, anyway. Yeah, right. But that's not what it What it And was. I know that, like, Golden... The Golden Pancake is where we always went. That's where we went in Uptown. Uh, the Golden Apple. I fucking oh, okay. told you it was Golden something. Yeah. <laughs> Golden Apple. App, uh, oh, it's 2000, so I... Man. Wow. Fucking... They've been around for that long? And that was... Are you ready for this? That was episode 172. Wow. So that's at least They really fucking three years. jumped on the podcast game early. Well, I mean, it, This American Life existed before podcasts were a thing. It was a radio show. Oh, yeah. I guess so. Yeah. And <laughs> there was radio before podcasts. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> huh. Huh, interesting. Um, this is the water. This is the well. Mm-hmm. You're right. I got it. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so anyway. I'll, anyway, when we meet David Lynch, this is the question we're going to ask okay. him. Did you do a I, hat tip to fuck. This American Life? I, I hate to give away, like, theories too early. Um, no, I'll wait. Because... Okay. Uh, no, don't I, give away anything. I feel like... Can a, you write it down so you... A little bit... We can we can wait and you can cut this out, but for you, I'll whatever. Oh my god, nobody's gonna hear that. Um, um, so Abby and Natalie are talking about their friend Angela. They're concerned about her new infatuation with Clark, uh, who had previously been going out with Mary. Abby. And then fucking Mary. Trick joins them, shaken by the experience of being driven off the road by a, a driver headed the wrong way. So do we? 
Is this supposed to be Richard Horn? And he can't be the only no. like shit. Okay. What do you mean? Wait, what? Is... I'm just imagining. Oh, you think Richard Horn was the other driver? Yes. Oh, yes, yes, oh, yes. oh, 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 oh. Um, maybe that could be. Um, this also feels very much like, like, like all the references we get to other David Lynch movies. This feels mm-hmm. like the scene. Um, in the beginning of Lost Highway, mm-hmm. there, yeah, Lost Highway. Um, is it Lost Highway? Oh my God, Michael. I'm totally second guessing myself, and I don't want to sound what stupid. What else would it be? Mulholland Drive. Yeah, it's Lost Highway. Um, and if it's not Lost Highway, I sound stupid. Um, it's not. The I haven't seen the last time you'll sound stupid on this podcast. Yeah, there you go. Um, but there's that because there's the whole driving scene in that where they're running him off the road but also he does a thing where he looks at like look at how much I'm shaking and his handshakes is that a reference to all the handshaking we see supernaturally hmm. or is it just coincidentally look how nervous I am like how like I'm shaking I'm so anxious and scared or whatever by what happened or is it vice versa? Are all the people we saw shaking without a supernatural? They were just like pumping with adrenaline. Huh? Yeah. One of them is just a dude eating some shit at the Double R Diner. So probably not. You don't know. But like, I mean, people love bacon. So. You want golden bacon very badly. Right. Okay. Well. I don't know. We've... Anyway, it's it's bizarre. It's a, it's a weird way to cap, excuse me, a cap off a show with like hey here's three people we don't fucking know mm-hmm. talking about four or five other people we don't fucking know well, like what what the fuck and for me personally like obviously the way we're watching it is not necessarily the way it is intended to watch of like i'm gonna watch this and i'm gonna discuss it in depth for three times the length of the of the episode sure but for me these kinds of scenes cause a lot of stress because i'm like Am I supposed to know these people? Am I supposed to know yeah. who they're talking about? Because there's a lot of a lot of characters, a lot of characters who are mm-hmm. mentioned by name that we don't see right away. And we've got these fucking people already, but we still don't have Big Ed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we didn't get Audrey till today. Yeah, it's we still haven't seen. We've still barely seen actual Special Agent Dale Cooper. Yeah, like all the shit that we tuned in for. And you're giving us these other people talking about other 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 people. So you. It, it's almost like he's thumbing his nose at like it's not that I don't have the time to work these characters in. I'm sure. opting out of it. Sure. Anyway. Okay. Well. But yeah. Then we get yeah starring Kyle MacLachlan. Even though I don't know that I would call him the star of this episode. I would call him the star of my life. Okay. Yeah, that was weird. I don't know why I, don't I said, said that. that. Feel good about it. Okay, well, that is it for us. Uh, we will talk to you next week. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people, hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Bloomke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Foraker Creative. You can follow them at Foraker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week.